So for anyone who's joining us for the first time, this is The Scream Lords, a podcast sponsored by The Screaming Brain. Uh, we kind of get together every week and talk about board games, card games, movies, uh, video games, pretty much anything in that whole sphere of pop culture. I'm, I'm making the hand simple. You just, you can't see it right now. Um, so this week I'm uh, joined as always with my two co-hosts, uh, Tim Fanoia. Hey, uh, I'm watching the Devil May Cry 5 trailer right now in the background. You, that's actually pretty useful right now. Uh, <laughs> there's there's like a ton of stuff that came out of Gamescom like this past week. So um, I was watching the other, I'll get to it later. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. I was like, we can, we'll, we can go. I'm, I'm, I feel like Nick might feel a little neglected if we have a whole conversation now before introducing him. Hi. Uh, and... By the way, I'm Nick. I'll introduce myself. I'm the Star Wars oh, guy. God. I paint miniatures. You might have seen my Instagram, Zar Nicholas one. This is like an episode of Hello from the Magic Tavern, which I'm going to talk about today. Huh? Yeah. Um. So how you guys doing? It's 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 been. Well, I mean. I'd say it's been a week since we talked, but it hasn't been. Well, it's it been feels, one week. Well, since we talk on air. Has it been a week? I was actually looking forward to it. I was thinking about it the other day. I was going to start texting you, harassing you, like, hey, when's the next episode being released? Did you release it yet? Clearly knowing that I'm already in it. But well, I mean, I'm just going to say it was someone's fault that we recorded a day late. I mean, it's not really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's my fault. No, it's fine. <laughs> Editing just took me more time than I thought, so that was unfortunate. Um, so we were a day late on last week's. But we are recording on Monday, our regular uh, recording day, so this will be up on Wednesday the 30th. I am even calling in from my hotel in Montana just to make sure we don't end up a day late again. Mm -hmm. Which is... Wait, I thought you were were in Colorado. I landed in Denver, and then I flew over to Great Falls up in Montana. I don't know why. I've been saying Colorado for the past couple days. Because people know where that is. Yeah, I'm actually really surprised that I was expecting mountains in Colorado and Montana. I look around, completely flat. <laughs> John Denver's full of shit, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only thing I can think of. <laughs> That's the only thing you can think of? Is that John Denver's full of shit? Yeah, from, uh, what was it, Dumb and Dumber? Yeah. Oh, man. So, so Tim, I know you're, you're all the way out there, but um, actually, let's start with Nick. So, Nick, uh, did you have much for a week this week? No, just really looking forward to the weekend. I did um I did start the well continued on reading the HP Lovecraft books or um at least the compilation of them called the Necronomicon. Aren't you not supposed to read the Necronomicon? Well, I mean, I just don't read it out loud. Oh, okay. It's not an audiobook, is it? Cuz that that's it, it is. So <laughs> crazy crazy stuff keeps happening to me as I'm going down the uh the highway. Well, I guess it's, it's no, not it's it, not your fault that it's happening then at least. Yeah, it's just, you know, I'm going down and then, like, the roads start to flood and weird things come out of the water. And We're really doing a podcast right now, right? Oh, yeah. No, we super are. Oh, okay. Cool. <laughs> I mean, do you not want to do a podcast right now? <laughs> <laughs> just just making sure this is really happening. Oh, okay. Yeah. Not not like the first time we, we tried to record this podcast. Yeah, I was going to say, you, have the, uh, you hit record on the right laptop now, right? I, I hit it on both laptops. It's just a matter of which microphone is enabled. Well, actually, I was I was actually trying to make a joke that like I was going insane, but oh. I mean, yeah, that informative. Like, okay, we are recording. Good, good. See, this is this good. is why we need cameras so that you can wink at me and I can be like, oh yes, the bit, I am on it. Ah, uh, uh, mm. 
the only the only th- complaint I have with the audiobook though, because I am driving when I'm listening to mm-hmm. it, is since it's a compilation, um, none of the chapters make sense. Right. So technically, I'm on chapter. Let me look at my phone. So technically, I am on chapter forty-four out of sixty, but I don't know what short story I'm actually listening to. So after X amount of chapters, it changes. They say it once at the very start of the story, and there's no way I can fall back and refer to it. Oh, so they just continue the chapters throughout each story? Mm -hmm. They don't restart? Yeah. Nope. Oh, that's kind of dumb. Yeah. But, I mean... Are the stories good at least? Yeah. I like it. Some are... It's a compilation, so some are really awesome, and then others just I kind of forced myself to listen through until the next one. Yeah, I found when I read, um, I got one of the compi- the HP Lovecraft compi- compilation book from uh, Barnes and Noble, and I think I would say like maybe like six out of the ten really stuck. But yeah, I mean, I can see that. yeah, and I mean, I mean, HP Lovecraft is, I mean, everyone knows who he is, and especially at this point, since since his intellectual property is free to use, he's his stuff is in every video game, every board game, no movies though. But no, that's not true. Yeah. They've they've done. They've a done bunch some of them. movies. Have they? I, yeah, I, it just it, not as Hollywood as you may know, but I mean, some of them very loosely based. Like, I mean, I love Reanimator, but oh, right. Reanimator is very loosely based on the actual story. Or uh, there was actually a movie called Necronomicon that the wraparound. It's an anthology, and the wraparound story is uh, Jeffrey Combs as H.P. Lovecraft. Um, breaking into a place to steal the Necronomicon. It um, was okay. Yeah. I mean, the only ones I saw was Into the Mouth of Madness, which is very loosely based on... Well, it's not based on any of the short stories, really. No, yeah, it's just like John Carpenter's kind of... It's almost like a homage to H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah. Um, And then the other one I saw... Good movie, though. The other one I saw was... Was it called Dunwich Horror? I know it was based on the Dunwich Dunwich. Day- hmm? Oh, I was thinking of Dagon. Oh, maybe that. Maybe that's what it is. Because it was one. Actually, Dunwich Dunwich Horror is actually what I'm currently listening to. Oh, it's probably the best one he's done, in my opinion. Uh, I don't. No, not not Shadow Over Innsmouth. I don't know the names of any of the stories. That's the thing that sucks. Oh. It's like my favorite one so far was when it's a letter exchange between two guys and one guy's working at like the college in um in you know arkham and then he's talking to some guy that lives in like the hills and the guy's just like yeah there's i'm hearing crazy stuff at night and i think something is like lurking around my property i can't figure out what it is and then like over the course of the thing he's explaining like oh i set up traps and i'm doing this and i'm doing that and the guy finally he's like you know what i'm going to i'm going to go down and meet you and i'm going to figure out what we could do to help you out your situation and i don't remember the ending that was when i kind of stopped hmm. uh, um, i remember that one listening i'll have to find it again cuz i wanted to re-listen to it cuz the other part of it too is like if you're listening to it and you're like you can't just put it down you have to like if something comes up and you forget to hit pause, you're going to lose your spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they um, actually are doing a Call of Cthulhu, a new game for um, PC, PS4, and Xbox One coming out in October. Mm-hmm. That actually looks pretty good. Uh, I haven't. I, I I've read a couple little teaser things by like um, was it Kotaku uh, posted some stuff a uh, while back. Yeah. I haven't seen any. Of, I don't. I don't know if there is footage, but I, I know I haven't seen any. 
There's a trailer. Is there? But yeah. I don't know if it's a gameplay trailer. It's I think it's just like, you know, in game cutscenes or something. Uh, I remember. Did you end up? Uh, oh, good. No, no, I was just gonna say. I remember playing a while back. I think there was a Call of Cthulhu uh, PC game. Oh yeah, Dark Corners of the Earth. Because I remember it, there was one on Xbox called Call of Cthulhu: Dark Corners of the Earth, and it was kind of like a um, first-person like mystery shooter type thing. Um, but it was pretty much like Shadow over Innsmouth. Yes, that is what I'm thinking of. Uh, Oh wow, that was actually a Bethesda game, huh? Yeah, it was the uh, the. Re- I really liked their um, healing system in the game, just for the fact that in the event you were injured, all your body parts and whatnot had like their own injuries, and then you would have to do like splints or you would have to do sutures and tourniquets and stuff like that. It wasn't just like health kit or eat like a oversized piece of meat or something yeah it's neat that reminds me of snake eater i remember you actually had to do the stuff yeah i I remember playing it and really really enjoying it and it really was it was basically like shot for shot uh like the innsmouth uh innsmouth story or i always confuse the two uh dunwich horror and the shadows over innsmouth there you make now you're having me second guess it. I'm pretty sure it was uh, that one was based on Shadow of Rain's Mouth. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I, I, I always am just like I know the name of the town is in the title of the story, and those are like the two that have the town name. So I'm always like, uh, maybe. But yeah, it was like a done with. It was a shot for shot recreation of the story, basically. Um, like even down to like the it had. Uh, I don't want to spoil anything, but the, I mean the story came out like 50 years ago. But um, just like a really really awesome like. Uh, hotel chase scene that was really really yeah. well done it was just brutally hard um yeah the thing that broke it is at one point i ended up like dropping down into a a room with like uh one of the boss guys mm-hmm. but it auto saved when i dropped and the only thing i had on me was like a knife and nothing else and I couldn't beat the guy with just that, so my game was permanently stuck because it auto-saved over my last save. Yeah. So I ended up just having to stop it. Yeah, I feel like it, it has some of like the, the Vampire of the Masquerade jank in it that made it really hard yeah. to play, as well as just be really hard. That's brutal. Yeah, it's it's really good, and it's it's actually relatively like frightening for you know a 2005 PC game and those kind of those graphics. That's okay. Hmm. I feel like they got, um, if anything deserves like some remakes or at least some updates, that'd be cool to get an update to or um, some of the other ones like, what was it, uh, Sanity's Requiem, the um, the other GameCube games, Eternal Darkness. Oh, Eternal Darkness or, was uh, good. Or, or it'd be cool if they did Vampire the Masquerade but did it under like the, um, like do an updated Cyberpunk 2077 type deal. I don't think like they yeah, I don't think they've done like seemed cool. I don't think I've seen like Cthulhu Future. I don't know. I actually thought about it <clears throat> while I was reading one of the stories that it'd be cool to see uh like a sequel oh, what, to, to one any of the stories? stories that they made. Yeah. I f- have they? I, f- or I like, feel not, like not even one. like direct sequel, not even just direct sequel, but like modern day. Like the the events of that story did take place, but Right. This is a flash forward to like the 90s. 
Right, and I think it would work better in the '90s than present day. But yeah, that's true. And they always like all the the mysteries and stuff always get solved. So you certainly could. Although I guess you could also imagine that they take all take place in the same universe. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I know. After um, H.P. Lovecraft passed, there were a ton of other writers and whatnot that pretty much kept writing in the same universe, just not like his direct works. Kind of like the same thing they did with the uh, the writer Conan. Um, they ended up like taking other stories and continuing on the whole mythology and the whole universe, just not with him anymore. Which is actually, if you've ever checked him out, the writer for Conan and H.P. Uh, Lovecraft, I guess, were friends. So a lot of the things, there were like little cameos and inside things between both of the works like the snake gods or something in conan ended up getting referenced in the hp lovecraft stories and whatnot that's cool yeah so i mean if you're ever looking for a cthulhu conan the destroyer crossover that's what i want arnold schwarzenegger to star in next i don't know if i'd want arnold schwarzenegger to do it though you don't want to see arnold schwarzenegger fight cthulhu as conan i mean i i might want to see like dwayne johnson fight Cthulhu as Conan. I don't know. It's only one Conan. Or, um... Uh, O'Brien? Conan, Conan <laughs> O'Brien. Conan O'Barbarian? Is that going to be the new spinoff? Only if he keeps the hair. <laughs> yes, he has to keep everything about him, Conan O'Brien, and just wear, like, the, um... The, like, the leather uh, get-up and, like, the loincloth and just go for it. That sounds terrible. Although I'm sure, I'm sure there's like a commercial where he did that, or a skit where he did that. I'm sure. I mean, it has to. Be. Yeah, probably somewhere. Yeah, he's been on air long enough where I'm sure they've used that joke. Yeah, I'm sure it didn't originate here tonight. Maybe it did. Maybe if it did, maybe I should call Conan. Conan. Yeah, if if it, if he didn't already, we need credit. It's serious. Like Con- at least a shout it's out. Like Conan, if you're listening, oh, I'm sorry, Conan. Of course you're listening. Uh, <laughs> you know, drop drop me a line. Um, and if you want to drop us a line, um, there was actually some confusion with our email, which is all my fault and my terrible keying. What'd you, what'd you do? Um, it's actually the screaming brain at hotmail.com. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there are some issues with the Gmail account. So we're just going to go to our hosted email server. So if you want to drop a line to the podcast, you can email us at podcast at thescreamingbrain.com. That's podcast at thescreamingbrain.com. I like it. Uh, so Conan... Or find us hmm? online at uh, www.geocities <laughs> slash screamingbrain. <laughs> or uh, angelfire.com back, <laughs> backslash Angelfire. uh, thescreamingbrain1135. Uh, <laughs> uh, was it Tripod, I think was the other one? Oh, man. That's going back. Uh, well, we should also plug the MySpace page, right? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, although, do be careful in your Google searching for the Screaming Brain. There is an alternative Russian punk band that is also called the Screaming Brain. Um, also unaffiliated. Uh, unaffiliated. I wish I could say I founded them, but they've been around for quite a while. Also, the movie, no. Uh, oh, the man with the Screaming Brain. Yes, that's a. a Wasn't that uh, Bruce Campbell? Oh wait, was that man with the? Oh yeah, I'm confusing man with the Screaming Brain and man with two brains because I was confused. Which was a Steve Martin one? Oh, yeah. No, uh, Screaming Brain was, um, uh, I just said his name. That's weird. Yeah, Bruce Bruce Campbell. Campbell, yeah. 
which I think it's, it's probably, I haven't seen the Steve Martin movie, but I assume it's probably pretty similar premise. Oh yeah. The Steve Martin one's funny. I don't think I've ever seen the, uh, the Bruce Campbell man with the screaming brain. I just always remember the, the like, um, pictures and the photo stills that they released of him with that mustache and the shaved head. Oh yeah. Um, you know, actually now I'm thinking about it. I think the story, I think the plot is actually he, they put two brains into his head. So I almost wonder if it's like a, an homage to the Steve Martin film. Could be. Hmm. They just couldn't use the name or anything. Uh, I mean, it was a sci-fi original, so. And it was directed by Bruce Campbell as well. Yeah. Oh, speaking of Bruce Campbell, did you hear that he is uh, going to be voicing uh, Ash in the living, uh, the, um, um, with Evil Dead game. Yeah, the Evil Dead game. Yeah, evidently the um, the cast from Ash vs. the Evil Dead is going to come back for it because uh, I think the guy who plays Pablo was in an interview and he ended up saying that, yeah, we're all going to stick together for the uh, the game coming up. Oh, that's good at least. But evidently he couldn't release anything else um, beyond that, but he just ended up mentioning that. Yeah, so. that makes sense, and I, I'm I'm glad to see, yeah. I'm glad to see that. I know he's voiced a couple of the other games, but I'm sure it's always a point of contention on whether or not he's willing to. Uh, I mean, it's not like he has a ton of other stuff to do right now with his career, but video game stuff is hard to do too, from a voice acting perspective. No, I bet it's a, it's a very different skill set. Um, yeah. So outside the nom- Necronomicon, uh, was there anything else you wanted to go over, Nick? No, that's that's about it. Okay. That has taken up a hundred percent of his time. <laughs> well, we already we already talked about WoW. Smartest. Yeah, I mean, we can just. So. We, I mean, the fact that you're playing a quote unquote lifestyle game, uh, I think we can just assume that you're still playing it. I mean, feel free to bring it up if there's anything new or interesting you want to talk about with WoW. But um, or actually, actually, wasn't um, what was the one of the new zones in WoW? Don't they have a whole Cthulhu like HP Lovecraft deal going on? I only went through it once. I don't want to like hype it up, and then like you get there, and it's like, oh, that's it. But it's the the old gods in Cthulhu is um, referenced in WoW. WoW AQ forty, the end boss was that. Oh, I um, forgot about AQ forty. Yeah, end of Ulduar. Um, you fight against Yog Saroth. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they just released a video the other day with the Queen Ashara, and she makes she. Her city gets destroyed by the ocean, and she cuts a deal with one of the elder gods. And they're like, "They, you know, we'll bring you back, and you could be a slave to us as long as you get to remain alive." And she's like, "No, no, no! How about I be your queen instead?" It was a cool cinematic. That's an upsell, right? Yeah. Uh, and for anyone who, but they haven't released anything. They didn't release anything for it yet in game. And if they did, I haven't gotten to it yet. Hmm. And uh, for anyone who doesn't know, uh, what we were referencing with AQ-40 is an old 40-man raid in original World of Warcraft. um, And we call it AQ because it's way easier than pronouncing Enquerage, something like that, which was uh, a Cthulhu-themed kind of Incan temple raid in the middle of a horrible, horrible uh, horrible, horrible jungle with giant T-Rexes who were masters of stealth. (laughs) <laughs> I cannot tell you the number of times a level 40 T-Rex was just all of a sudden behind me and things didn't go well. Uh, to this day, I miss uh, Ungaro Crater for all of that. I know. Ungaro Crater, like, I was so sad that I got to that zone so late um, just because by the time 
like I was in that 55 to 60 range, Burning Crusade came out. So a lot of those quest lines that had that cool Cthulhu mythos kind of thing going on with them, um, they weren't relevant anymore because it was easier for me to just go to the new content in the new expansion and do those quests than to do the like brutally hard uh, Ungoro Cradle Crater stuff. And uh, Syphilis. Syphilis? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Tim, how was your week? Doing interesting uh not not a whole lot um, oh, oh really <laughs> that's it <laughs> <laughs> all right we're done moving on <laughs> no follow-up uh, questions between, between work and traveling and whatnot um not a whole lot of time to game this week um so i really only had a couple things that i've been doing i ended up my girlfriend and i watched the movie hereditary uh, this past weekend, which if nobody's familiar with it, it's one of the new kind of like indie horror movies that ended up um, getting some buzz and now it's available to get through Amazon. Um, it's not available for streaming, but you can like rent or buy it through there. And we ended up giving it a shot. If you're looking for something a little, it kind of starts off as a slow burn and then just ramps up into crazy by the end of it. Like, if you've ever seen, um, have you ever watched House of the Devil at all? House of the Devil, that sounds really, really familiar. Um, it's, it's available, it's a T-West or Ty-West movie, um, but it's available on, if you, do you know Verve, the VRV um, streaming service? Yes. Oh, I do know House of the Devil. Okay, I just had to look up the cover. Yeah. Yeah, so like I do a lot of stuff through, I got Verve because originally I had Shutter and I had Crunchyroll. And then I just, they kind of pulled them all together into Verve, so I got Verve instead. So this way, you just pay like one fee, and then I get all of them anyway. Um, but yeah, it's on Shutter right now, for anybody that hasn't seen it. But House of the Devil is also a similar case of, it's kind of a, a slow burn movie. It um, That one, it takes place, uh, it seems very retro, like from the intro credits to the music and everything that they have. It seems like one of those 70s movies. Um, but it kind of ramps up to the ending in the last 20 minutes that gets crazy. It's the same thing with Hereditary that it kind of starts um, as like almost a family drama and it seems a little bit off and a little supernatural and then it just goes bonkers in the last 20 minutes. Um, so if anybody's out there and they're looking for a movie, um, kind of a cultish for Halloween, it's another one to check out. Heads up on it, though, it is kind of brutal. Um, so if you're squeamish or you can't handle the, uh, you'd rather not handle any of the more kind of dour <laughs> films, um, I'd avoid it if that's the case. It's not very fun at all, but it's pretty good. Oh, see, the way you were leading up to it, I thought you were going to tell me it was like like a horrible gore Oh, fest. no, I mean, there's some like gory parts to it, but it's not so much a, a gore fest it's just one of those movies that it's like there's no happiness in it whatsoever it just it starts mm. like depressing and then it just gets more and more depressing as it goes on but um i respect yeah, that for a movie yeah. of that type i kind of like that yeah i don't i don't think i'm i mind it um yeah i was you you had me and i was like oh man that sounds really awesome but i thought you were gonna say gore which i don't like really the high gore movies um yeah, I, I usually kind of benchmark them at a certain point, but yeah, like the the super like dour tone really 
almost depressing at yeah, times. There's, there's really only like a handful of gory moments to the movie, and it's there's really only mm-hmm. one that's kind of jumps out of nowhere that's surprising. But the other ones, like you kind of see coming and whatnot. Um, but it's good. Lately, I've been kind of on a kick with um, kind of going back to rewatch all the. I like. I'm a huge fan of like all the cheesy eighties horror and whatnot, but I really enjoy all the like slow burn movies that I like it when it's kind of normal and things seems kind of a little off. And then when everything goes bonkers at the very end. Um, so I was actually watching another one that's actually not on the, uh, the show notes that I forgot to mention um, called black boats daughter, which is directed by Anthony Perkins son, Osgood Perkins. Um, if you know Anthony Perkins from Psycho, but he originally did a movie on Netflix called I'm the Pretty Thing That Lives in a House. Oh, yeah. Um, if you haven't seen that one, that one's, it's more of a straight up ghost story, but it's very kind of, um, there's like no gore to it. It's just all kind of atmosphere and kind of all the aesthetics and everything like that. And it's a good movie. And then I watched Black Coat's Daughter. And it starts off kind of normal the same way. Um, but that one, when you get towards like the last 30 minutes, goes hard left into like the gore territory. And I was not expecting it from his other movie. So I was like watching it downstairs uh, in between Blang Wow the other week and it was jolting. Um, so if you're looking for anything that's all those kind of slow burn movies, House of the Devil, Hereditary, and I'd probably say Black Coat's Daughter are good ones. Hmm. I might I might have to take a look at that. I mean, I, when I saw the trailers and all of the buzz for Hereditary, uh, I was pretty interested. So I definitely think I'm going to check that one out. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Uh, aside from that, the other thing that, well, especially today that I've been doing is playing another mobile game as part of my my mobile minute. Um, I've been. <laughs> We need music. <laughs> I feel like it's because whenever I'm going places, I always like I'll find a new game and I'll play it until I just get bored. Like in this case, I, um, as everybody probably knows, like I travel a lot to, for work, so I ended up going to the airport today and I flew out here to uh, Montana and I realized, like at the airport, that I left my Bluetooth headphones at home oh. and because I have one of the new moto phones to make it thinner they got rid of the uh headphone jack so my oh, other actual mm. my actual earbuds don't work on it so then i figured like oh like i'll i have other stuff to do like i'll just watch a movie on the plane and then i got on the plane and they didn't have any movie service so then i was just checking my phone because it's going to be like a 5 hour flight to see what else i had on there and i f- had a game that I actually was able to play offline um, called Dungeon Maker. And if anybody's familiar with Dungeon Maker, uh, or rather if you're not familiar with Dungeon Maker, pretty much what it is is you uh, start off with a couple different like um, like wizards and all sorts of different like classes um, with all their own kind of little gothic-y aesthetic. Um, like one's like a vampire, the other one uh, and it's like a succubus. The other one's like a um, life mage. But you have all of your kind of leaders, and then you pick out a leader, and you have a dungeon that's like nine rooms. And then as you pull cards off a mat, it will either be 
a dungeon fight and guys will attack your dungeon. It'll be an elite fight where like bosses will attack. It'll be upgrades. It'll be like all sorts of different events that you can choose um, as you kind of work your way through the dungeon. But it'll always end up being people are attacking your like it starts at night room. So you'll get different monsters that you can upgrade. You'll get different traps. Um, and it's pretty much you lay out the floors of your dungeon and populate it with whoever you need to. And then as people attack, you have to like build it out so you can defend it. So it's kind of like a, not really a, a tower defense. Um, hey, text, text me that later. Okay, yeah. Because I was going to say, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, it, I mean, it kept me busy for like five hours alone today. And the cool thing is, is as you play it more, you level up your leader. Um, and then for doing achievements, you unlock in-game currency that uh, you can't like buy currency from what I've seen. It's just you have to unlock it via achievements. Uh, but as you do it, you can then purchase um, other upgrades and whatnot. So it'll be, okay, well, from now on, when you start your game, you get to pick one monster that you had in your last game. And he becomes your like permanent henchman for the next one. Um, or like from now on, whenever you start a new game, you automatically start like five levels higher or it's all these other kind of cool things that add to it. So as you play through, it's not the same thing every time it keeps kind of building on itself. So, I mean, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. And if you have time, it's, I think originally I got it on sale for, um, I think it was like a couple bucks. Well, did you end up finding the, uh, the link? For yeah. It? I was like searching endlessly, like trying to find it. Because there's, because I was typing in like like dungeon maker, dungeon builder, and like there's there's like all of these apps that have like the exact same name, but are software to help you build dungeon mats for your D and D game. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, because it's like the most absolute generic fantasy title. Yeah, so that made, that made it hard. But I, I still can't find their web page, but I found them on the the play the Google Store. Yeah, like it, it's pretty cool. Um, I think you guys might end up liking it. I haven't gotten to the point where I've unlocked everything yet or, like, I haven't even scratched the surface and I think I've probably put in, like, 18 hours into the game so far. Mm -hmm. um, but it's because it also, as soon as you can play it offline, it's really nice for if you're traveling or whatnot to just be able to throw it on. Um, the only thing is it does take a while to play because you just keep playing through until you finally get defeated in your dungeon and then you gain all your XP and then you gain all, like, your unlocks and whatnot. So you it'll you progressively build on it every time you die so it's kind of part of the game is going to end up being you're gonna die a lot but you're gonna progress every time um so this way every time you go back in you go back with a little bit more than you did last time so i mean it's i think you guys might end up liking it and plus if it's it's only a couple bucks and you don't have to like worry about microtransactions that's kind of cool Huh, that's interesting when you were talking about it it reminded me of this uh game on steam called guild of dungeoneering uh, that one I don't know. Uh, where it's a similar premise, it's uh, top down, where you um, basically you're allotted a certain amount of money and you build out your dungeon, and then uh, so you build out like the rooms or mazes. You get to populate it with monsters and traps, and then an AI hero comes in and tries to defeat your dungeon, or an or an AI like hero party comes in and tries to defeat your dungeon, and you have to basically try and stop them from reaching the treasure room in your dungeon. Um, and then you earn, you know, more gold and more kind of like items and better monsters, depending on how far they got or, or how far they were killed. Uh, it's pretty fun. It, it, it I shouldn't say pretty fun. I've looked at it cause it looked really, really interesting and it has this kind of fun, uh, like top down hand drawn map look 
kind of like if you were pl- and like looking at an actual like D and D dungeon map. Uh, but just uh, it just made me think of it. Uh, it actually the um, that the game when I first originally found it and started playing it, it reminded me a lot of I don't know if you remember the Deception series. I think on like PS2 and I think they ended up doing or. I think it was like PS2 or PS3, and then they later did one on PS4. But pretty much it's you have like a castle or something, and then all the each mission is different guys will come to the castle looking to get you, and you earn and you upgrade and you find different traps, and it's you setting up all these booby traps throughout the dungeon, um, or rather throughout the castle, to try to stop everybody during each mission. So it's it's a little bit different only because it's more... I don't know, like, uh, if you remember the Incredible Machine game back in the old PC days. Yeah. Um, it's kind of more so like that, of setting up all your traps. So, oh, well, he'll come this way, and then this will knock him through the air, and then this will drop on this guy, and then this will cause it to swing this way. So it's all more that rather than this one is just you set your traps, you set your monsters, and it's not really, like, there's still a lot of strategy to it, but it's not like, well, he'll get bounced from here, and then he'll land here, and this will swing here, and all that kind of Rube Goldberg-esque stuff. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. I forgot the De- Deception Theory. The Deception series had kind of a, an anime uh, style to it. Kind of like a, a JRPG. Yeah, I, I remember I never really played it a lot, but my brother got into it for a while. And I remember it was one of those games that like, it's fun to just watch somebody else do. Because either way, it's like... Yeah, I can set it up, or he can set it up. Either way, I'm going to watch this mousetrap situation happen to these guys. Yeah, it's like one of those, like one of those PS2 gems of like the, the thousands of games that came out for the PS2 that just kind of got lost at a point that were just kind of these really yeah. experimental kind of things. Although there was three of them, so it's not that experimental. Still cool. I think they came out. They had a, a fourth one, but I never played the fourth one because I think that was the one that ended up dropping for playstation 4. oh yeah yeah because well, they yeah, did uh, uh nightmare princess yeah subtitle which by by that point i didn't like i didn't check them out anymore but somebody's out there liking it seeing as they end up making it yeah so tecmo puts it out i wonder if it's one of those games that's just really well liked in japan but uh, yeah because i mean um aside from that i mean tecmo also did what ninja gaiden and dead or alive uh tecmo bowl too <laughs> i mean I, how could i you know, <laughs> yeah that classic um i mean uh, well although now uh doesn't isn't it tecmo koei now um i'm unsure I th- possibly I, I think they did yeah they did end up merging in 2010 with koei um but yeah but they you know they were more of a i mean tecmo in general i think was more classic so like yeah they did like tecmo bowl they did rygar um Oh wow, I remember Rygar. Yeah, Monster Rancher back when that was popular, Fatal Frame. Yep. Um I remember the old Monster Rancher game for I think it was PS2 that you would then put any other disc in from like anything and it would read it and then generate a monster for you based off of it. So I ended up barring it one time from a friend and just running through the house grabbing every disc I owned, throwing in to see what it would turn into. So it was like Metal Gear Solid 2 demo disc, Zone of the Enders. Well, yeah, the, anything. I remember the, the show when that was the whole the whole theme song was unlock the disc. Yeah, of course. In the show, they were like these ancient like stone tablets. They weren't just like whatever DVD for the man who knew too little you had lying around. Yeah, they should bring that back. Make me have to go out and find CDs again. Really get that CD market going. Yeah, yeah. I was at I was at um, 
where was I? Oh, I was at a, a Shaw's grocery store yesterday buying mouthwash, and they had their rack of DVDs out, and I look at it and I'm like, wow, I forgot about those. <laughs> Uh, it's like yeah, they're they're already like relegated. I mean, even Blu-rays, like they caught on, but they they were like cutting edge for six months, and then everyone was just like, no, we don't want you know physical media anymore. Yeah, I mean, like I'll still go out and I'll buy the um the Blu-ray for things that I want permanently, but for the most part, it's like if it's available streaming, I'll probably watch it streaming. Um, I know still though, like I'll get it on Blu-ray just so when they eventually take that off streaming, at least I still have it. And I, um, usually like my system just sounds better and whatnot sound wise when it's the Blu-ray version. Yeah, I can understand that. Especially, especially streaming. You, there's no guarantee that you're going to get it, um, at really high quality or if you have a 4k TV that you'll actually be able to stream it at 4k. Yeah. Or, I mean, there's been times before where they're like, there's a problem and the internet's out or something. And then it's okay. Well, what do I own that I can watch? Yeah, that's that's a good which, point. Which which luckily is a lot. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't have a CD player anymore. <laughs> I ran into that a couple months ago, where it's just like, oh, we have all these old DVDs. Let's watch one. And it's like, um, I don't have anything because laptops don't have CD-ROM drives anymore. And when I built my PC, I was just like, oh, I can save forty bucks. And and not <laughs> not get a CD-ROM drive for it because I just game on Steam. So why do I need discs? And yeah, so I can't. You know, I, the, I, hmm? the pain part too is if you were to get a Blu-ray drive, you're not automatically authorized to play Blu-rays. What do you mean? Like movies? Yeah, you have to purchase a um, Blu-ray like movie license because the encoding on it is more than just um it's encrypted so like they don't want it's more than just like oh you just pop in the movie and then you can start playing it you know it doesn't work that way anymore that's like a blu-ray drive is for that disc not necessarily to play a movie um yes Oh, so that's kind of I can I can view the contents, mm-hmm. but I can't view the digital media that's on it because it's encrypted. Oh, that's like when we were in that weird transition period where there was like you know you could put music on a CD or you could make an MP3 CD, which you can't play on most CD CD drives, but you could access the music on it. Oh uh, yeah, it was because I remember I ended up getting like a a discman or whatever back in the day that the big thing was oh it can play data CDs. I'm like, oh, great. Now I can have like a hundred song disc in here. But I mean, then they came out with MP3 players and iPods and kind of made that pointless. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, there's always those times when you have like cutting edge tech and it lasts for two months because no one told them that they were working on something way better. Yeah. (laughs) It was like, oh, your tech is super invalid. Yeah, I feel like anything technology wise, it's great for the moment but it's always going to be out of date soon anyway i mean like the whole thing with the video cards um because of all like the cryptocurrency mining that we couldn't find video cards for a while or all the prices were high and all the companies didn't want to just they knew that they were going to be making a bunch of money off these video cards because of all the uh the mining but they don't necessarily want to increase stock because it's so volatile it's probably going to end up dropping out and now they have all these video cards that are probably going to be like high end now, but low end in the next couple months, and nobody's going to want them. 
So it's well, we'll just be sold out for now, I guess. Yeah, I mean the the home computer market, like the high end PCs, is such a quickly evolving market um, that yeah, like you have video cards going obsolete in six months um, in terms of like high end performance. I yeah, I find it staggering sometimes to keep up with like people like you know really high level PC gamers where it's like yeah oh yeah like every 6 months I drop I, I drop like $600 on a new graphics card um and it's I don't I don't get it and it's amazing also how like that stuff devalues like I love um thumb drives for that comparison where one year you will pay I don't know like 40 bucks for a 60 gig thumb drive and then next year that thumb drive is like $12 because it is the the the, the capacity is just so obsolete and i, I love seeing those cuz that's like the biggest like in your face technology is going way too quick but older stuff is crazy cheap i don't know it it's it's really insane with definitely like computer and even just storage like when um even when like terabyte hard drives first came out and they were insanely expensive and like now you can get that on a laptop for like 400 bucks it's like okay yeah like now I own thumb drives that hold more than like my PC up to like the year 2000 or the fact that we ended up buying a zip drive back in the day Oh, <laughs> that it was, Oh, one disc can hold a hundred meg. And I was like, Oh, that's amazing. And now a hundred meg is, well, an it's a hundred for the it's new new meg. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not even like a, a decent upgrade. Like if you're playing like, um, like let's say you're playing The Witcher Three. Like a hundred meg update is like a bug fix. Yeah, if that. I mean, like on my phone, if I end up taking five high quality photos, it'll probably end up being like close to a hundred meg. Oh, and that's yeah, that's so funny. And yet we used to somehow deal with floppy dri- uh, floppy disks, which were what three three meg four meg. Uh, it was what three point four or something. Yeah, kind of. No, I thought it was one point four. Was it? Oh. Was it one point four? Maybe later ones were higher. It shows the last time I've had to use a floppy disk. Right. Yeah, yeah, we still use that icon for saving. Oh, yeah, no, Nick's right. It's 1.44. Thank God, my profession pays off every now and then. Oh, it's a (laughs) 3.5-inch floppy disk. That's where the 3.5 came from. That's how big it is. Yeah, I remember having to, well, go to, like, the, the PC conventions and whatnot. My dad would end up coming back and being like, Oh, I bought you this game. Here are the discs for it. And it's like 12 discs. Oh, man. Insert disc one. Now insert disc two. Oh. I had that with a CD with um, the X-Files made like a, a point and click action game with live video for every single thing that you can do. The game was like nine discs long. I, I still missed those like FMV games. Yeah, that's the word I was looking for. Oh, man. Yeah, like I... Do you remember the Escape from Horrorland one? Was oh, I was just going to bring it up. I was just going to say it. <laughs> I was trying to find it the other day, and I'm like, man, I just really want to find it. I'll even pay money for it. Jeff Goldblum as Vampire. I just want to play it again. Yeah. Uh, that, that, uh, he's, uh, he's Dracula. Love Twitch stream that. <laughs> I remember playing it once at your house, Dave. We had like a sleepover or whatever, and we played it like middle of the night. And we got stuck on that stupid scarecrow. Oh, so, uh, the scarecrow walks at midnight. Yeah, with the <laughs> pumpkins, you have to hit in the right order. Oh, I love. Oh, I love that game so much, but I never actually beat it. It like at, when it comes up, where like I think about FMV games, I always think about man, I never beat Horrorland. Oh, well, that's that's gonna be our uh, Halloween Twitch then. Oh man, I kind of want to do that. Do it. <sighs> Sounds good. Do it. You won't. I, well, I have to find the game first. Yeah, I mean, I own it at my house, but it's a matter of 
being able to run it, it'd probably be easier to just find it online and download it. Uh, you'd, if, you'd, um, you'd probably have to get a ROM of it. Yeah, because I know a lot of it at this point is like abandonware. That is true. Oh, I wonder if, um, what is it, uh, Good Old Games has it, maybe? Possibly. Hmm, that might be worth some research. We'll see how that goes. Shame. It's a shame Steam doesn't just have it. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely, definitely one of, uh, uh, it's definitely a classic. Like, that is a 90s childhood classic. But anyway, so, uh, Tim, was there anything else on, uh, on your week that you wanted to go over, talk about? No, no, so that was my mobile minute. Okay. Your, uh, your mobile 18 minutes. <laughs> he's cut. He's cutting it back. He's it cutting was back. 45 the first day, 30 minutes the last time. That's good. It's 26.98 on Amazon right now. Is it really? 26. Wow. Yeah. That's actually that's more than I would have thought. Especially for the fact that if you got like if you actually had the CD, would you be able to play it? That's the question. Or do you need to? Yeah. It might. I mean, you'd have to do some serious because it was made for Windows ninety five. Mm. Oh man! It, I mean, worse. It was produced worst by DreamWorks. Yep. Yeah. Oh. I mean, worst case scenario, I still have all of my old PCs from like the nineties and through the two thousands up in my attic back home that we can just pull one down and install it on there. Uh, I don't know if they'll run Twitch though. Uh, no, I, I think we would have to uh, set up a camera and film you filming yeah, the screen. We'd have to like somehow jam an Ethernet card in there. And <laughs> what do you mean it doesn't have a PCI slot? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to do some research on that. I'm sure there's a way we can emulate it or something. But yeah. Um, so yeah, this seems to be the theme of, of weeks of not a ton going on. Hopefully, I get some I get some stuff in this weekend. Um, we're busy david i know it's it's rough it's it's rough being busy um so the first thing i want to talk about and this this isn't really isolated to this week um but i figured i'd talk about it because it's awesome and i listen to it every week uh and that's hello from the magic tavern uh which is a uh i I briefly mentioned it earlier i think that might have been on our previous attempt at recording um but so hello from the magic tavern is a uh, a weekly podcast and basically the premise of the show is um, uh, this comedian, Arnie Niekamp, who's actually one of the writers for the uh, the Jackbox games, um, has basically fallen into a mystical portal behind a Burger King in Chicago and fallen into the magical, fantastical end of Foon. Oh man, I've listened to this show so much that I could literally do his intro. Like, I hear myself trying to explain it and I could just run through his intro. Um... And so he's fallen into this magical world, and so he can't figure out a way to get back. So instead, he's decided to use the podcasting equipment that happened to be in the back of his Camry, and he set up a podcast in a magical tavern in this kind of Lord of the Rings-style place. Um, and he he has his co-hosts, which is a shapeshifter that's usually a badger, and the wizard Usador, and it is... It's amazing. Um, so that's the premise of it, but the entire show is completely improv. So you just get the three ho- the three co-hosts, and you get a guest every week who basically puts on uh, a persona from a character from this world, and they just go and see what happens. And it always ends up being like just an awesome improv cast of just on-the-spot world-building with incredibly crude, hilarious humor. Uh, and it's amazing, and I think they're, 
I want to say they're like 200 episodes in. Um, let me just double check that. But, you know, I've been listening to it for like, I'm probably, probably like two years now. Um, let's see. So they're on episode, uh, they're season two, episode 74. So yeah, like 174 episodes. Uh, and it started in 2015. And it's, it's just, Damn. it's really, really funny and really well written and really smart. Um, so it's kind of, it's kind of just like, yeah, it, it like this weird kind of live, you know, an outsider living in the world of D and D kind of thing. Um, and it, it's so funny and I just, I love listening to it on my bus ride. It's just a really, just a joy. And I, I really want to get to a point where I can see them live because they all, dress up in their characters and do it on stage and pretend that the audience is the tavern that they're doing the podcast from. Um, yeah. Where are they based out of? Uh, they're, they're based out of Chicago. Oh. Um, I know just recently they were in Indianapolis for Gen Con, uh, which one of these days I want to get over to. Um, but yeah, Hell from Magic Tavern. It is, it is great. Um, yeah. And so you can get them at like hellofromagictavern.com or on their Twitter site. They also have, uh, their Twitter site, uh, their Twitter accounts, um, they have one for each of the hosts. So, like, you can follow Usador the Wizard at Usador the Blue or Chunt the Badger. Um, yeah, it's it's really funny. It's not for younger people or if you don't like hear, hearing swearing and sex jokes and butt jokes. Um, but if you like that kind of stuff and just crude D&D fantasy humor... It's it's amazing and it's a really really funny podcast. How often do they release episodes? Uh, they're once a week. Uh, I think on Mondays. I think they go out. Oh. Wow! So like season two, episode seventy five for every week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, hundred hundred and seventy five episodes once a week. I mean, I only had like three or four more of these, and they... <laughs> <laughs> you know, if there's seventy four, that means they've done it for how many? years uh we can figure that out 174 divided by 52 or like three years yeah yes uh since 2015 yeah that is that is an incredible commitment and it's 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 a fantastic show like the quality of the of like the right not not writing they're all improv comics but they're all just Uh, writing what i'm sure like yeah i'm sure there's some writing behind the scenes maybe not written on paper but like i got something i want to say i mean they probably plan things it's they're never like hundred percent like in character like there's always there's always slips where you can tell where someone says something that drastically changes the entire storyline of the show <laughs> and then they're just like oh no <laughs> um or like they have characters there's a recent story arc where um one of the co-hosts chunt uh invented a character that's a little orphan boy um who who he just during one of the episodes he's like oh and this is this is drew and he does his thing and they're like no we don't no we hate this character so they they just yell at chunt the the guy who plays chunt is like no drew's dead we killed him see he's he's over there dying he drank poison it's done um (laughs) so yeah so they're they're not afraid to like break the fourth wall and, and kind of you know you you have those not pitfalls of improv, but kind of like those little moments uh, where it kind of derails a little bit or like something gets messed up. Uh, but it's really good. And I'm, I'm outside of like the Drew Carey show. I'm not usually a big fan of improv, uh, but they do it really, really well. So 
Uh, so that's for a second. Mm-hmm. I, for a second, I thought you meant Drew Carey had like a podcast. I was like, wait, what? Maybe he does. I wouldn't be surprised. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah the but the the Who's Line thing. Uh, Although I, I did enjoy that. It was it was good. I remember after it ended, they did the uh, Drew Carey green screen show, which yeah. was basically the same thing, except they added in post work depending on what the improv actors did. Oh uh, yeah. I think that only made it a season. I just, I just remember finding Who's Line like years ago in on like reruns, mm-hmm. being like, "Oh, this show's going somewhere," and then it's like, "Oh yeah, it's on episode like a hundred. It's in syndication now." I'm like, "Oh, this show went somewhere." <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it was. I remember watching it like even just with my family and just losing it sometimes on some of the episodes. Um. <laughs> What's the number one phrase to that would start a fight? Hey, you guys want to fight? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, um, what was it? Uh, Ryan um, Styles. Ryan Styles was. I mean, he was always probably my favorite comic on it. Um, but they were always so good. I also remember when they had Robin Williams on um, as a, a guest for one of the episodes, and it was so funny when you like compare like the comedy style and like high end practice of like robin williams with them and it's like oh man these guys are so good and then you see robin williams go up and you're like oh yeah that's right that's that's what it looks like to have like a comic who's been doing this for 40 years and is like one of the greatest comics of all time um it was like when i was re-watching uh re-watching friends a while ago and they had an episode where brad pitt was on it and i think was playing uh jennifer aniston's boyfriend and you have that moment of like Brad Pitt is just on you know on camera acting, and you're like, oh right, this is what a real actor is like. Did you just call every cast member of Friends not real actors? Well, at the time in their careers of doing like season four of Friends, shots fired. Yeah, I was gonna say we are going to lose that whole Friends demographic. You cannot. You can. They're, you cannot. They're not going to be there for us. You cannot <laughs> compare the Friends cast in season four. So like, what is that like? Uh, what two thousand two with Brad Pitt? What well, season four? Yeah. I think season four was earlier than that. Was it really? Let's yeah. see. Season four would have been like nineteen ninety eight. Wow! Oh, that show was earlier than I thought. Even yeah, I was gonna say the first episode of Friends I ever saw was the series finale because I remember them had in the commercials saying like, "And now the series finale." And I'm like, "Eh, I'll give this show a shot." <laughs> and I watch it. I'm like, oh, "I guess I'm done." <laughs> yeah, that's how I. Do. How do you always come in so early? It's so late. <laughs> I did the same thing with Seinfeld. I never watched a single episode until the series finale. Like, ah, oh, okay, I guess that was Seinfeld. Cool. How? Uh, I wonder how all these guys ended up in jail. Mm-hmm. Let me watch the show. So just to give context, so I would absolutely say that Brad Pitt in 1998, who just came off of Seven Years to Bet, Meet Joe Black, and was about to do Fight Club, was a significantly better actor <laughs> than... <laughs> Uh, then, um, I can't remember his name that played Joey Tribbiani. Oh, Matt LeBlanc? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm just, hey, I'm just going to put LeBlanc it out there. Lost in space. <laughs> just, I'm just going to put it out there that I think Brad Pitt's performance in Seven Years in Tibet was, you know, maybe, maybe better than, you know, how you, you doing? What, you, you think Meet Joe Black was better than Jennifer <laughs> Anderson's stint in Leprechaun? <laughs> so don't you, don't you fight me on this. <laughs> You just gotta okay. you gotta put it in context. I wasn't talking about like, you know, Courtney Cox was in Ace Ventura. <laughs> That's true. Uh, I mean, I wasn't talking about like you know late Brad Pitt 
where like you know war, I thought, yeah like World War Z. I thought that's that same year he did Twelve Years a Slave. So you know I, I can't like he's always been good. Oh, okay, it's not like I said this was nineteen eighty seven hunk Brad Pitt. Well, like California. Yeah. With a K. California with a K, or like original Twenty One Jump Street. Um, this 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 is when he knew stuff. Wait, he was in original Twenty One Jump Street. Yeah, he was uh, the TV huh. the TV series in nineteen uh, eighty eight as a guest star. Or? Um, he might have just been a guest star. Actually, I think that was pretty much his start. He appeared because I was going to say the only one I remember out of that is um, Johnny Depp and Peter Deloise. Yeah, mm. uh, yeah, yeah. It does look like he was just an appearance. Still though, he was out there. He was. He played. He was Peter. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah, take that, Tim. Nick and I are super informed <laughs> and totally don't have IMDb up. <laughs> I picture Nick just holding his fingers to his head like Charles Xavier and just gleaming it from the air. <laughs> hey, you don't you don't see me right now, so it's true. I could be. See, this is another reason we need cameras just to just to catch each other on on our bullshit. <laughs> oh, all right. Uh, so the other thing I want to talk about is, um, so I just got into, and I got into it super late, um, is the card game Sentinels of the Multiverse. Um, now I just started playing the digital version of this, um, mainly because I heard, I heard a ton about it and it's been around for quite a while and it's had numerous expansions. Um, and I wanted to get into it, uh, the digital version of the card game, uh, which is like a true one-to-one digital version of the, the actual card game. Um, because I wanted to do some streaming of it because it's it's really fun. Um, there's a lot there's a lot of options for co-op play and even some solo play. Um, but basically, Sentinels of the Multiverse is a a an unlicensed uh, superhero card game. Um, so they're all uh, completely original characters that might be loosely based on other characters. Like you're going to have your Superman type and your Iron Man type uh, and all of those. Um, but basically where you are creating a, a four-person superhero team and going up against a, you know, a big, bad, evil guy. Um, so, for example, in the original base set of the game, I think you get six different heroes and four different villains, I think it is. Um, but what's really interesting about the game is that each superhero has a preset, uh, I think it's a 40-card deck. Um and each villain has their own preset deck, as well as there's a, an environment deck. So when you set up the game, uh, you make your team of four heroes, you pick who you're going to fight, and then you're going to pick where you're going to fight them. Um, and then it plays kind of like, it plays a lot like Magic the Gathering, with like different combos, um, you're going to have a lot of like ongoing abilities that are going to you know uh, work with other abilities that are going on, or allow you to do different things. And since they're preset decks, each character has a very specialized gimmick. Uh, and since it's a 40-card deck, it's kind of a constant theme. So while you're not going to get a ton of like variability within each character, you're going to have a very different experience between like the Superman type and the, the Iron Man type. Um, and let's, uh, let's try to look up the name of these people. Uh, let's see. But... So you so you don't get a ton of variability between the hero uh, between each hero's deck, but between the multiple heroes, and it's had so many expansions at this point that I'm you know I'm taking a huge guess here, but I would probably say there's maybe twenty five to thirty different heroes across the various expansions. Um, a lot. Yeah. So you're 
you have these this huge array of choices and just how you build your team. Um, I would say the only kind of downside of the game is that it's balanced for a team of four heroes versus one villain. So you either have to play it, you know, if you play it with four people, each person gets a hero or two people. You have to take two heroes, or if you play solo, you have to take all four. So that, in like solo play especially, that makes it kind of messy. Um, but it's it's still, it's a ton of fun. It's a little tricky to learn at first because it is that kind of Magic the Gathering style game. So there's a lot going on. There's a lot you have to keep track of. Um, but the the digital version of the game makes it makes it a lot easier. It's a much smoother transition, uh, especially when you're having to keep track of how much health things have. Um, because as you're playing the game, the 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 villain will summon henchmen. And you have to keep track of how much health they have and the villain has. Um, but the game has been around long enough now where it's it's really developed a significant following and it's it's kind of gotten much much more polished. Um, so now in the digital version, you'll see like the classic. You know, four hero team versus one villain. But they have new variants of the game where you can do, like, four heroes on four villains. Or I think there's a couple others. But I would have to honestly say it's it's probably one of the better superhero games I've seen. Um, and I think part of that might just be because it's, it's not licensed. So they don't have to follow anything. They're all kind of custom weird. Yeah, not weird. But, like, custom uh, characters that they've come up with. So they can kind of do however or whatever they want with them. And all the cards have kind of a very, like, early... Not early 90s, but like a... No, maybe like an early 90s comic book feel. Um, like that very indie style, like with only like two-tone shading. Um, but it's it's really a ton of fun. Um, and I'm really excited to kind of mess with it more and get into some of the, the, the expansions. Um, because it's... a I've been playing it on Steam, and I think Steam has a lot of the expansions for it. I'm not not certain. I might actually check that now. But um, they have a free demo that you can download on Steam, which basically just kind of step-by-step takes you through your first game. Um, and it's it's totally free. It's like it's like 30 meg, and you can just go try it out. Uh, and that's how I got started with it, because I wasn't sure how much I'd like it. Uh, but it's really, really good. And, the, and the, the digital game, the base game, is only $10. So... It's, you know, it's really easy. Yeah, so they have, uh, let's see, so the Sentinels of the Multiverse is $10, and they have the full Season 1, which is, yeah, so if you wanted to buy, like, the full Season 1 of all the expansions, it's $25 for Sentinels of the Multiverse and the first five expansions to the game, uh, which gives you a couple new play modes and a ton of extra characters, uh, including a weird rat man, which... I kind of want to play him now. And I was while you were talking about it, I was taking a look on the Google Play Store, and evidently they have it as the the phone version as well. Oh, do and they? it's six ninety nine. Yeah, I wonder if it has integration with um, Steam because it says you can play online co op hmm. through it. So I don't know if it's all together or if it's kept separate. But it yeah. seems cool. If you if you were playing on Steam, I might end up checking it out on Steam um, just to see it. Likewise, I actually want to try that out. It reminds me of the WoW TCG made a special like raid packs. So instead of the Magic the Gathering equivalent, <clears throat> the um, it was like a boss versus like three or four heroes, mm-hmm. and it was a preset deck. So like Molten Core, you actually played against normal heroes, which kind of wasn't good. 
but then the Frozen Throne one where you did Ice Crown Citadel, you, one guy was Arthas, and then you had four players playing as like um, Jaina, um, Sylvanas, and I think one other Horde hero or someone. Yeah, actually, I remember really enjoying the, like, not so much the WoW card game for, like, competitive play, but I really liked the uh, boss decks because I felt like there's so many things nowadays that I feel like are all competitive play, or at least the ones that I end up seeing are all competitive play, and I prefer all the co-op ones. So it was, it's just a problem it used to be trying to get enough people together to do it. Mm. Yeah, and... Yeah, and, and Nick, I definitely think you're right with the the Frozen Throne one because I remember playing. Um, I think it was the Burning Crusade. What? Oh no, it wasn't Burning Crusade. It was just uh, Ragnarok or Ragnaros. Yep. Oh from yeah. The original. Yeah, and yeah, the the thought was there, but it wasn't super well executed at first because it it really forced you to like, hey, you could bring your own decks in, but for those that don't play the game, I don't really have. Proper, I had to break my own rule set in order for the other person to actually survive or do anything. Yeah, and I think they really... I mean, to get that to work, you have to do pre-made decks. Mm-hmm. Because there's there's a level of balance there that if you give people all of a sudden the ability to build their own decks, there's no way that you can plan for that or what they're going to have. And by making them... Yeah, you know, I don't want to say one-trick ponies, but like having a single gimmick that's really, really like obtuse... Um, you make each character feel really different um, in the kind of their, their small set. Um, but if I mean, if you guys are interested in trying it out, I am playing it. I mean, I'm not playing it at this moment. Um, yeah, I was gonna say focus. But I am I am getting into it. I'm sorry, Tim. You you went long. The mobile minute was way too long. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, I'm looking at it on Steam. So there's yeah, single player, multiplayer, online, multi. Uh, it has local multiplayer actually as well. Oh, so I can drive up on weekends. Yeah, you could do share, share screen, split screen. <laughs> I know that's not great. I know, I know. But like in a world now where you see no couch co-op, it's good, to, good to know that you that there's some out there. Even though this would probably play better if everyone had their own screen. Yeah, which I mean, I like how a lot of them are like bringing back couch co-op at least on the indie scale. Because the one I mentioned a couple episodes back, the uh, was it Wizard of Legend or whatever. Um, is also oh, couch yeah. co-op. So. It's kind of weird. We it's, it's weird playing couch co-op on a computer, though. Depending on well, your I mean, setup. Yeah, like ours was kind of nice because I just, um, if Dave, you weren't uh, there for it, but I brought my uh, upstairs TV down to the computer room and had its own desk set up. So that way, when I'm done on the computer, we can just kind of spin our chairs over and just play off the TV there, hooked up oh, to my yeah. computer. Mm-hmm. So like, I might end up when I upgrade my TV, I might just leave that one down there, and then that way just be able to do any computer co-op games off of uh, the main screen. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I mean, I've, I've liked the local co-op with certain, like, board and card games, just because that way you can do, like, the pass and play. Yeah. Um, so, like, when I was on vacation recently, I had um, the game Splendor on my Chromebook, um, which I, I own the physical copy as well. I was just looking for board games to bring on vacation. And it's just really nice that you can have that and just like, oh, I can do my turn and then just pass it over to, to Michelle and then she can do hers and it works really well. Um, I mean, that might have been the thought with Sentinels of the Multiverse as well. Um, but just because, just since there's a lot going on in the game, I feel like your own screen's better. But yeah, I definitely think we should take a look at that, uh, take a look at it. Uh, and it's actually, it was made by Handelabra Games, who also did One Deck Dungeon, which I've been playing a lot of. Oh, so. Hmm. 
Yeah, they're definitely they're definitely on my mind. They're a, a Kickstarter publisher, so um, all of their games go through Kickstarter, and they do kind of like you know smaller, lighter games. Um, but both Sentinels and One Deck Dungeons were really, really big successes for them. Um, so I'm definitely, definitely into their stuff right now. Um, they also have a Twitch channel where they play their games. Um, I think last night Handelabra was actually playing Sentinels of the Multiverse. Um, so if you're listening and you want to check it out, you can both go on to the demo on Steam or um, you know go take a look at uh, Handelabra's uh, Twitch account and uh, you can see them playing games. I think he has, I think I think he only streams on Sunday nights. I'm not sure though. Um, you can check out their Twitter account to find out more info for that. I'm sure. Um, Pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Okay, so I think that's our week. So I think we can just uh, go right into the news if everyone's all right with that. No. No? Don't want to do news? Skip no. news? Skip the news. Skip the news. All right, skipping the news. No, we're not skipping the news. <laughs> oh, come on. People well, listen you, for the news, Nick. You you asked the question. <laughs> You're making it sound like it's my fault for asking the question. I'm, I'm, I just want to be a team player. <laughs> Dave asked questions that he only wants one answer to. <laughs> you, guys, you guys want to do the news? Yeah? Okay. <laughs> Just this once, uh, we'll, we'll do the news. <laughs> we'll, we'll do the news this time. But next time, you know, you guys, you know, you could say no. In in the background, I still, like, I had the uh, the cyberpunk gameplay playing in the background. Mm-hmm. And YouTube has just gone down the YouTube hole of just playing one video after another while I'm sitting. Oh, there God. Don't go back. And, like, I'm looking at the, I looked up at the screen and they were playing the trailer cinematic for the Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic expansion with the, like, the two brothers and they're growing up and then one gets like the metal mask thing and whatnot. And I remember seeing that trailer drop like back when it came out and I thought, Oh man, this is going to be a great game. And then they're, Oh, it's just going to be a a patch update for the online Knights of the old Republic. And it's like, Oh, so this isn't going to be any part of the storyline. We're not going to get this whole Epic, like force unleashed coder style game. It's just, trailer cinematic for the next update for old republic <laughs> disappointing i don't think i actually even realized it was still live I, I, I yeah i'm not sure i mean this old republic trailer was from uh, i don't know oh. like three years ago oh, oh, oh yeah probably not then i remember when it went free to play a while back which was a great model i must admit it works for it works for yeah. some games you know? like you you, you pay really does. like you unlock enough of the features that you don't have to have a subscription yeah, well, Dungeons and Dragons Online. Yeah, you can even just look at the success of uh, Fortnite um, and how Fortnite has basically not you know solidly, but has kind of taken over where um, Player Unknown Battleground was um, just by you know being free to play on PC and being a much more polished. Game. I think it's funny how Fortnite exploded, and me and Tim played the hell out of it, and we didn't even yeah Did you really? but we didn't do the the battle royale. We played yeah. the actual like story yeah because there's a story yeah, yeah. originally when it got announced you can buy the founders pack for like 30 bucks to get access to the um when they were still doing like the beta and whatnot but originally the game was going to end up being like a storyline with missions and whatnot and you can do co-op and it was you build your base to defend it against like zombies and whatnot and then you upgrade it and go on missions and go like build other things and scavenge towns for supplies and then come back. And we had a lot of fun with it. And then all of a sudden, like a couple months later, they ended up releasing um, Fortnite Battle Royale. And then that was it for it. 
Like, that was the nail in the coffin on the old one, and now everything is Battle Royale. Which, I mean, like, love it or hate it, it's successful, and people seem to like it. Like, I'm personally, it's not my thing, but I, yeah. I kind of miss the original one that I paid money for. Oh, see, I didn't realize that. I, I, I always just assumed it came out as a Battle Royale game. No, after uh, Player Unknown ended up kind of um, getting some publicity and started picking up Steam, um, they ended up turning that into a Battle Royale. Because I know originally uh, Player Unknown Battleground was the most played game on Steam. I still haven't played it. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 fun. I mean, it's, it's interesting if you like the Battle Royale fa- uh, formula. It's super bland. Um, you know, it... Graphically, it looks like it's just a bunch of borrowed assets because it's just really generic, you know, current time period kind of wilderness city. Um, and it's still it's still pretty buggy at this point because I think it's still early access even. Um, Companies need to stop doing that. You can't have yeah. a game go viral and explode to the point where, like, I'm seeing commercials for it on TV and it's still to be called like early access. Like no, 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 no. You can't. You should. You shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. Like at, at what point should early access be allowed to start taking money for it? And then how long after that should they actually release the game? I remember Ark. My God, we played Ark for when originally, as soon as it went available to buy, I think I bought into it, and then um, like you, my brother, everybody ended up jumping on when like that weekend or whatever or like the weekend after and then that was early access for ages and then they finally actually released the game and by the time they actually released the game i was done with it i feel like i end up missing the boat because now i look back and they're oh they added you can have flying dinosaurs that you can build bases on or underwater bases and you have like all these other things and well yeah but i mean i put in like I don't even know how long. Let me check Steam. And on a side note, so player uh, player unknown battlegrounds is uh, is is uh, it is the full release now. Um, although since it's gone to full release, its reviews have tanked. Um, <laughs> apparently, it's gone to full release, and everyone's still saying it's still as buggy as it always was. It constantly crashes. Um, hackers are out of control. Um, so apparently, it's kind of maybe gotten to a point where it's it's a uh, an early access game that you, that they're now just calling a full release. I mean, do you think place or do you think companies are using early access, even though that's kind of their final release as a reason to be like, well, I mean, yeah, it has these issues, but it's early access. Yeah, like, just wait until the full release, and they know that. Well, I mean, we already got paid, so yeah. I mean, I can see that. I know. Um... Uh, what was it? There's that airship battle game. Oh, battle um, Wings of Wings Icarus of or something. Yeah, yeah, Wings of Icarus. That was an early access game, and I mean, it's a really awesome game where you're you're on steam powered airships, um, where you have an entire crew. So like, you'll have like a six person crew, and one person has to steer. There's like three people on guns. One person repairs. Um, there's all sorts of things to do on the ship. Like, as it's taking damage, you have to go to different stations. And it's really, like, fun and awesome and chaotic. And it was an early access game for a while. Um, the only problem is, is that before the actual full version of that game came out, um, they did Guns of Icarus 
the single player campaign game. So they used a lot of the money they got from Guns of Icarus and made a single player version, which then killed the Guns of Icarus community. Um, because I guess, you know, when people, once people saw the single player, they were like, oh, this is actually way better. Um, and, you know, uh, Wings or Guns of Icarus ended up, you know, just kind of disappearing because there was no one playing it anymore. And it relied completely on having that uh the online presence like originally the first one they did when it was all pvp i didn't really mm-hmm. want to join in on but then the second one they did when it was well now there's going to be um ai ships and whatnot and you can just do co-op with friends uh and just kind of like fly around and more along the lines of like um oh god what's the new pirate game on xbox and whatnot? Sea of thieves Sea of Thieves, yeah, when it was more along the lines of like a Sea of Thieves type thing of just kind of sail in the sky, do missions and take down other enemy ships. Like that seemed more cool than the um, PvP, your team versus another ship. Right, and that's what happened because so Guns of Icarus Online came out first as an early access game and that was the the online only just kind of free for all like three three crews on again three crews. And then Guns of Icarus Alliance came out before Online was finished. And Alliance was the, you know, AI ships go around do missions one. Yeah. Um, which ended up which ended up killing Guns of Icarus Online. And everyone got really mad because, you know, they put in this money and the game was never finished. And then they came out with this one, which killed the community. Um, but that happened a long time ago and is not news. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> how, do we, how do we end up on this? Um, but well, we where we were going to do something else, but then you mentioned cyberpunk, so let's just keep going with cyberpunk. Um, so in the news, so uh, cyberpunk twenty seventy seven, uh, an open world RPG put out by Bethesda, um, who's known for doing um, the Elder Scrolls series. No, not the Elder Scrolls. Cyberpunk is um, CD Projekt Red. Never mind. Yeah, sorry. The guys that did Witcher. Uh, yeah, the guys who did Witcher. Um, so this is an an open world, futuristic role playing game um, that is done by the guys who did the Witcher series, and we've been teased for gameplay footage for quite a while, uh, and it looks like uh, I think this morning was it Tim that the 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 gameplay footage came out. Uh, I think it was. I'm pretty sure it was released at Gamescom. Oh, was um, it? But I know, like, I started getting all the alerts and whatnot and ended up seeing it this morning because um, I know everywhere that I usually follow started posting all of it this morning. So I don't know when it actually got released to the media or when it actually went up online. But I know that um, the ones that I was looking at, they ended up posting it today. Um, and so I've, I've watched a, a bit of the, the gameplay footage. And if anyone's familiar with the the manga slash anime of Ghost in the Shell. This basically looks like Ghost in the Shell, the game. Um, just, like, walking around this amazing-looking um, kind of pseudo um, Blade Runner-ish city. Um, you know, like, solving crimes with cyborgs and combat enhancements. Um, it's kind of like, um, was it Deus Ex Machina, like, but on steroids? Yeah, it... Um really reminds me of somewhere between well actually yeah pretty much like Ghost and Shell and Deus Ex and Blade Runner but um, I know 
I was watching the the gameplay, and they have the whole intro and whatnot, the actual mm-hmm. gameplay of the gunplay. They have uh, they end up taking like a drug during it that gives them like a slow mo, but the slow mo looks almost exactly like the slow mo drug from Dread. If you saw, right, right, yeah. but um, which it really reminded me of that. But I'm like seeing this. I was psyched for it previously, but I'm excited now. As I was saying before, we when we were doing like the pre-show, that um, originally Witcher, I know that it's good. I know everybody loves it. I wasn't really a fan of the controls, so I could never get too far into it. But now this one looks like it plays something more along the lines of what I would end up uh, doing. So it's you have your kind of like hacking. You have all of your um, cybernetic enhancements. You can drive different vehicles. You can explore cities. They were talking about how the city itself has... It's supposed to be like the most advanced city from any game where each individual person has their own schedule and life and whatnot and day and night cycles. So, like, you'll see the same people going to work every day and they'll have, like, if it's a weekend or kind of all that kind of level of detail. So, I mean, it it seems really immersive. I Looking at it, it feels like you're just going to be playing a movie. Yeah, I mean, it it looks gorgeous. Um, and, you know, CD Projekt Red, you know, I know the the Witcher series is based on a book series, but they've done, they've always done a fantastic job with their storytelling and world building, which is you know one of the re- main reasons I really love the Witcher series. Um, but yeah, but the Witcher has always performed. You know, the the combat was always it wasn't clunky, but it was slow and it was really methodical. Um, but going the route with this, where it seems to be more like a like a first person action game uh, with your mix between shooting and close combat, driving vehicles. I, th- I think I'm really interested to see how they handle that. And the, in the gameplay footage, it looks really kind of, it looks really fluid and seamless. So I'm really excited for this. Yeah. I just hope I, when it comes out, have a computer that can run it. Because I'm sure this thing's going to be a beast. Yeah, it's uh, supposedly there's no loading screens. So the entire city is supposed to be seamless, which is, wow. yeah, which have fun uh, running that. Well, it's like um, it's like Grand Theft Auto. For the most part, it doesn't have any loading screens. It does when you have to load specific things, like when you load into a mission or whatever. But they'll cleverly hide it behind a um, a cutscene. Uh, right, right. Just to kind of give it the buffer time by doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder. Um, I forgot that Grand Theft Auto does that. I mean, this looks a little bit more intense with the environments. Um, right, at least because I know, like, but yeah, the same like, concepts the Th- there. Yeah, but the same concepts there. Hmm. I'll be curious to see how that goes. I just hope it's not like, um, I'm trying to think of his name, the director for the Fable series. Oh, Peter Ma- uh, Molyneux, who who always over-promised on what Fable was going to be. <laughs> I don't know if you guys if you guys remember back when Fable 1 came out, and he said that depending on your actions, your character was going to look different, or like you could plant the seed of a tree and by the end of the game, that tree would have grown in real t- in real game time, and there'd be all these arcing stories, and all these things would change. When the only thing that happened would be like, if you play as a good guy, you'll get like an aura around you, and if you play as a bad guy, you'll get tattoos. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh. I mean, it's the, it was pretty much the same thing with um, which we like Coder and Mass Effect, and I liked them, but their whole everything gets shaped by your morality in the game. Well, no, it's either you have three options. The gray option, the 
um, let's do this mission for free option or the like the drown the kittens option, like right. B or C or whatever it is. So I mean, there was it was always kind of obvious stuff. I'm hoping this one, from looking at the choices and whatnot, you can make none of them really seem to like curve in one direction or the other. They seem to be pretty. Um, good as far as like the dialogue or the choices and everything. So I'm hoping that's the case and it's not just you get railroaded into, oh, do you want the good answer and hit Y? Do you want the bad answer? Hit A. Yeah, that's, that always becomes a struggle. And I mean, you know, you said Mass Effect. It's like, do you want the red ending, the blue ending, or the green ending? Yeah. And that's that's always tough. And I mean, it's, it's that's tough in trying to make interactive storytelling where like you're they try and make your decisions matter. It's like you get railroaded at a point. And there's only... There's only so much content they're going to build into it to, to make room for that. Yeah, because, I mean, it's you can't really, as much or as great as it would be to account for every single action and then the branches that specific action would take you on, the writing and the work on it would just be so extensive. I mean, it would be great to eventually have that, but I feel like it's not, oh, well, I woke up in the morning and then... He, do you go down and eat breakfast or do you skip breakfast? And then all the branches that go out from that instance in the morning. <laughs> it's like, oh man, he was hungry. So now he has a harder fight. And that harder fight ends up doing this. And then all this stuff. Yeah, it, it just, it gets too hard. I mean, as long as the, like, the moment to moment changes from my decisions create an interesting story. Yeah. I don't, I don't really care. I feel like I don't care because I know that they can't craft completely unique endings for every single scenario um and I'm, but i mean if you really want comprehensive writing and interesting uh non-railroaded endings go back and play heavy rain <laughs> you mean oh <laughs> every ending is the same yeah pretty much you know you can argue yeah. that when you play any game the ending will be the same yeah but when your whole game is a murder mystery you know, it's like it, some it, and 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 all and all of the gameplay is just pick pick the option. You know, the, it's like watching a movie. You watched it once. You got the, the you know the surprises out of the way, and then you watch it the second time. You know all of the spoilers already, but you still watch it again. I mean, you know what's coming, right? But but a movie, if I buy it on DVD, is twelve dollars, well, right not sixty less. Yeah. <laughs> well, it came out. It came, <laughs> I mean, it came out like ten years ago, and I mean, ugh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I mean, not doing the heavy or, rain cast. We, or not if you doing watch it. Clue. Clue has like three endings, so it's a movie you could have watched three That's times true. and gotten three different results. So I feel like all movies should just be more like Clue. Oh yeah, Clue is a fantastic movie. That is another day. Another day. Uh. Yeah, we'll 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 do that at some point. All right. Uh, so the uh, let's see. Yeah, next, so, next subject on here. So Cyberpunk while we're bashing excited. things, um, yeah, yes. In a nutshell, Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. Very excited. Uh, what I'm not excited about is uh, so Square uh, Square Enix just announced at GamesCon um, that they are in uh, I guess either licensing out or helping develop a Tomb Raider Legends board game. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so very little information is out about the game uh, as of yet. Um, one big thing that Square Enix is kind of pushing is that apparently there's things in the board game that are going to help explain the story 
in the new Tomb Raider game, um, which is, I'm trying to remember the name of the new Tomb Raider game, uh, stalling for time, um, Shadow of the Tomb Raider. Never, never, I must admit, I've never played any of them. Really? I figured that would have been right up your alley. Yeah, I tried, I didn't care. Huh. I mean, I never... I thought that, like, I play, like, for me to play it, it would have been PlayStation 1, not any of the sequels. So at the time, even I thought the controls were kind of clunky, and it just uh, it wasn't. I, think. I was gonna say I think the last time I ended up playing Tomb Raider was back in. Um, I think they were still under Eidos at the time, or something. Oh wow, mm-hmm. Eidos Interactive. I forget when that was. Yeah, that was a while ago. When uh, that was because I think they they were bought by Square Enix. Yeah, because I think it was. Um, there was like a, a disc or something before PlayStation came out. They had like the PlayStation hub that you can put on your PC and then um, play through like some of the demo games and whatnot. And uh, one of the things was like some of the Eidos games and I had like a Tomb Raider thing on it. But I mean, for the time it was cool. I'm sure it's still cool. Now it looks cool. Just, I feel like there's so many games that are so similar. It's again, it's kind of like the, the hack and slash action games and whatnot. Like, God of War, uh, Anamusha, Devil May Cry, all of them are similar gameplay, so you just pick the skin in that you like best and just go with that one. Yeah, I feel like the, uh, what is it, Nathan Drake is the character, but I can't think of the name of the game. Uncharted? Yeah, Uncharted really took the wind out of Lara Croft's sails, because when Tomb Raider had kind of disappeared for a long time, you know, we ended up getting Uncharted, which is what everyone saw as like, oh, this is what Tomb Raider would have been if it was modern. And now Tomb Raider is trying to come back. Um, yeah, but like what I was saying, the, the Shadows of the Tomb Raider, the big thing Square Enix is pushing is that the Tomb Raider Legends game has things in it that will help you solve like the puzzle of the story in Shadows of the Tomb Raider. So they're, they're pushing really hard this kind of connected world with these two games. Um, I mean, I, there's not a lot out about the gameplay. All they did was kind of tease it and show it, but the game looks bad. There's a link in the show notes. Like maybe, maybe this is supposed to be, have a mass market game appeal. Um, I know there was a previous Tomb Raider game a few years back, a board game that also tanked. That was a mass market game, but you look at this game, um, the graphic design is bad, um, there's very, very limited art, and most of the art is pulled from the game. Um, so to give you an idea, uh, it's a, I believe it's a two to four player game where each person plays as Laura Croft from a different Tomb Raider game. Um, so you look at the, yeah, but thematically it doesn't make any sense. Like, I'm, Oh, I mean, I guess if it's like Crisis on Infinite Tomb Raiders. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out this game. Because you each have, like, your character card, and so, like, if you you can play as Laura Croft from, like, Tomb Raider 1, and you literally have the Laura Croft art from Tomb Raider 1, and it looks like how she did on the box of Tomb Raider 1, or Laura Croft from the new one, and it looks like that art. So, like, it just, you know, you're just ripping art, uh, art assets from the video games, um, and, like, there's some card play to it, and there's, like, a round like i don't know like i just see the picture and it just doesn't look good uh it it, you know i'm I'm looking uh, at the beasts of war website which not a huge fan of theirs but 
and they're they're showing pictures and they're like oh this is a really you know looking at the pictures it's a really well crafted game and i'm like no kind of looks like a bad kickstarter um like the pawns for the various lorecrofts are just lorecroft in the same pose just red blue green or yellow i don't know it looks like something that like hasbro would put out as kind of like a eh, maybe this will do okay but it's getting a ton of hype and a lot of buzz around it so i'll i'll watch it i'll see if maybe things kind of develop more with this but yeah i just i don't understand any of the hype on this it looks like trash also i don't like circular boards not many not many games use them because it's crazy expensive to produce a circle a circular board so expensive. i feel like the only circular board game that i like was uh moonquake escape although i think that's a circle on a square so it's but not it, really it's a circular elevated board. too though i mean that's I mean, sure, it's circular, but like keep going up in a tower. I think that's yeah. So not an actual tower, but you know, that's right. And they spin, and they spin. Yeah. So like thematically, (laughs) that makes sense and it's cool. But like if it's just like a normal circular board, it reminds me of the old um, when you have the PC game and you have to do the password wheel. Yeah, it kind of looks like that too. Because yeah, it's just a circular board with like almost like pizza slice spaces on it, and each space is a different Tomb Raider game. So I mean, I I'll I'll hold judgment until I actually see the uh, the rest of it. But it sounds like something that would have dropped in like the nineties. Yeah, it just looks like it. it's like it's it. So like I was saying, how playing you're playing as Laura Croft from different games, um, and how it didn't make thematic sense to me. But looking at this more, it's a very meta game. Like you're very aware of the fact that you're playing a character from a video game. Because that's how it's displayed. Like, you're literally going to, like, the Tomb Raider 2 space. So, I don't... Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe this is a very, very early prototype. But it would see, it seems weird to me that Square Enix would go to GamesCon with a really early prototype of a board game of one of their major franchises. Plus, I feel it's so niche that you need to be a fan to enjoy it. Mm, that could be. Because I have zero interest in this. Yeah, so, I, I, so do I. But I've I, never I, played it. No, someone does. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Especially since the, they have a movie, right? That's coming out. So they already came out. Did it come out? Oh yeah, it was a couple weeks ago. I think. I don't know how well that's doing, but like this is a major franchise for them. So I'm surprised that they're showing something that looks this either this early in development or kind of this low quality. I don't know. Okay. Uh, so let's see. Next up. Um, so I added this on this. This is only semi-news. Uh, so two of the original designers, or uh, the designer and director of uh, GoldenEye 64, <laughs> I don't know why, but they, were, they had a recent interview, and they were, it might have been an anniversary of the game, where they were talking about the game and some of the design decisions uh, and development decisions that they made. And they came out with a really interesting anecdotal story where they were talking about the development of the multiplayer, which anyone who is from the N64 era knows how important both to video game the video game industry and to players the GoldenEye multiplayer was because it basically defined first person shooters um, but they talked about the development of the character Oddjob um, so if you know James Bond the movies actually not if you know the movies because Oddjob wasn't short right he was a regular sized person yeah I don't I, remember him being yeah like small hmm yeah neither do I but so in the GoldenEye game he was a very short villain that you had to fight. And you could play as all of the villain characters in the multiplayer. Um, the only problem is that Ajab was so short that the game's uh, auto-targeting 
uh, mechanic can't target Oddjob. He is just just slightly below your crosshairs, so the only way you could shoot him in a multiplayer match would be if you stopped, did the manual aim, and then shot him, which this was before dual analog sticks, so you can't move while you're aiming at Oddjob. So he had a very clear advantage in multiplayer. Um, and so what happened in the interview is that the developers came out and said that in development, they were trying this out, and they realized how cheap Oddjob was, and realized that basically it's cheating to play as Oddjob because he breaks the game entirely, but they wanted to keep him in for giggles because they thought it was really funny. So if you ever had a friend who always played Oddjob against you in Goldeneye, they were in fact cheating. At, from, the, from the lips of the developers, playing Oddjob in Goldeneye 64 is cheating. Now, did either of you play Goldeneye much? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, was... I didn't do a whole lot of the multiplayer. I think uh, I didn't meet you guys until after the Goldeneye thing died down. Yeah, that, that I grew up on that game. Okay, I couldn't remember if you were a, a PlayStation or 64. Plus, I can actually say I unlocked all of the codes and stuff without having to do the... I was so mad. Like, they insisted there's no cheat codes for this game. You have to unlock everything yourself. <laughs> Fine. I did it. And then, like, three years after the game, like, no one cares about it anymore. Hey, guys, guess what? We have cheats. Like, you know... <laughs> we just lied to you all this time. Pretty much. Oh. Puppet trade. Uh, yeah, I just I just saw that little interview and I thought it was really funny that they actually asked the question about the odd job character. And I mean the developer keeping something like that in just for like shits and giggles is really funny, especially like if you imagine if you could imagine like all of a sudden, you know, uh, Rainbow Six Siege, they introduce a character that can't be shot. <laughs> like the community would be <laughs> in an uproar and would just destroy esports. Um, but it was, yeah, it was a different time, I guess. So, uh, okay. So moving on from odd job, we also have, uh, so I wasn't actually aware of any of this. Um, but so big trouble in little China is getting a new film. Is that right? Yeah. So this, um, originally I, like, I love big trouble in little China. Oh, it's it's one of my favorites, but, um, it was originally announced that they were doing a movie for big trouble, little China with the rock. Um, a while back and for a while like they were talking about um, people were wondering if it's going to be like a remake or, or what the case is um, and I was actually on my flight today my um, Sarah had sent me a link to this to let me know like oh yeah they confirmed it's it's not a remake um, and it's not going to be like a reboot evidently hmm. it's going to be a continuation but not like nobody's going to be playing Jack Burton or anything the Rock's going to be his own character. It's just going to be in the same universe, just a different story um, that occurs after the first movie. So it's not really going to be like a direct sequel, evidently. It's going to be just another movie set in the universe, um, accepting that the previous one already occurred. So, I mean, that I'm, I'm pretty excited about um, if they do it right, only for the fact that, I mean, I like The Rock. I love Big Trouble in China. If they want to do another movie that's not a remake... That's in the same universe. Like it's a cool universe. Let's do it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, when you first put the story on the docket, I almost hoped it was it was going to be a direct sequel, just because Big Trouble in Little China, the original, did have that little cliffhanger ending with uh, Jack Burton driving away in his truck, and there was one of the monsters like on the back of it. 
Yeah, they uh, ended up doing, I think it was Boom Studios, um, or it might have been Dynamite. One of the comic, like um, other comics labels did a Big Trouble Little China comic book series that was a direct sequel to the movie. So like, it picks up with uh, the creature on the side of the um, truck and whatnot. And I um, like I have all of them sitting in my house somewhere, but I never got around to like reading through all of them. But I'm pretty sure like the monster ends up joining Jack Burton or something like that. Oh. Um, but like it, it seemed cool, uh, and it they ended up doing the same thing for I think like Bill and Ted and some other ones where they took like 80s movies properties and they ended up doing continuations of them in comic book form. But I know a couple of them came out and I heard good things about it, but. I never really got around to catching up with those, seeing as I'm still catching up on everything else. <laughs> you know, we should really sit down at some point and play the Big Trouble Little China board game. Yeah, I was going to say, I keep seeing it pop up, but I i don't even know what exactly is involved in it. And didn't they also have like a, uh, what is it, Legendary um, puts out a Big Trouble Little China like card game? Oh, yeah, like they did, game. didn't they? Yeah, I forgot about yeah. that. I don't, I don't know how... If their legendary system is still super around, but you can also combine those. So technically, if we wanted to go hardcore, we could do a um, Big Trouble Little China meets Alien game. Yeah, or yeah, the Aliens versus Predator and Jack Burton. Yeah, I mean, it'd be pretty good. Just just merge all of that. Um, It'll be the the direct competitor to Freddy versus Jason versus Ash. It'll be uh, Aliens versus Predator versus Jack Burton. Yeah, but the only problem was there was Aliens versus Predator versus Batman. Was that um, what the... I know there was a fan movie with the alien thing. There was the comic series, but I think that was what? Batman and Predator or something? No, Alien 2. Really? Because I know there was the Superman and Alien 1. Yep, I have it somewhere. Oh, do you? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) I think. I like (laughs) it. No, I get it. That's why I was saying we should do Big Trouble Little China v. Alien, the board game. Uh, I'd play it. um, I'm not a huge fan of the Legendary System. I don't know too much about the Big Trouble Little China board game, but I love Big Trouble Little China, so I might give that a shot. Um, I am really excited to hear that they're doing more in the universe. I am curious to see what kind of connections there are to the original. Like, I know it's the same universe, but I'm curious where the crossovers are going to be. Like, are we going to see the Raiden-looking, like, Thunder God guy come back, or or how how that's going to play out? Or if it's just going to be, like, another just... 80s style action film in Chinatown. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I'll keep following it. I'll see what's going on with it. But between that and the uh, the Shazam movie or like the the Black Adam movie, mm-hmm. um, there's a couple different Rock things coming out that I'm interested in seeing what's going on with them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Rock. I love the Rock. I think he's great. So I'm mean, I'm always excited to see what he's working on. Okay. So that is that is Big Trouble Little China. Big Trouble Little China. Uh, so next up on the docket, uh, we have. Uh, it's weird seeing NBC News on the docket, um, but apparently there is a story on biometrics being used in video games. Now, when I first saw this, I immediately thought about there was a story a while back about someone who had jerry-rigged it so that every time he took damage in a game, it would literally withdraw blood from him. <laughs> There's a meme I saw of something like that. Like, yeah, you're uh, every time you die, you're going to donate blood. And what game am I playing? Dark Souls. Yep. Oh, yeah, they they did turn it into a meme. I can't remember what he was playing originally, where he set it up. 
because he was he was doing it as part of like just a general like donate blood to the red cross thing um but wanted to make it kind of a fun event uh but that's immediately what i thought of it's like biometrics in your game you lose blood as you lose blood um, when are you playing battle toads oh god just <laughs> uh, well if it's not co-op you're in better shape though but yeah so i'm i'm looking over this uh tim do you want to do you want to take it a little bit yeah so Pretty much the the article itself started off talking about a a game called Bring to Light um, that was pretty much going over, you're going through like a subway system and there's creatures and whatnot, but they end up tracking biometrics through like heartbeat monitors and um, other items like facial recognition and everything to kind of change around how things are going based on how it's getting the biometric feedback. Um, but overall, it's the article itself, if you go through it, it's going into just the use of biometrics in general in gaming, um, just to see if we can kind of create or utilize that in games, just to make them more, I guess, interesting or more engrossing. Um, especially if it's a case of if you're playing a horror game and it's going by your heartbeat, going by facial recognition, it knows that, okay, well, you don't like this, so let's do more of this, or like, um, if it's a game where you're fighting somebody and, oh, uh, well, now your heartbeat's going, so now this game knows to, okay, well, press the attack or do whatever it is that you're doing. So, I mean, I think the, the concept's interesting of biometrics in gaming, um, whether we'll see it kind of um, practical applications, because, I mean, I, I don't expect anytime soon to have heartbeat monitors and cameras for facial recognition in like my xbox or something like that um i know uh what was it nintendo had a a vital sensor or a heartbeat sensor that they had released or they were going to release um that they ended up deciding not to run with as uh one of their normal products yeah i think that was that was back when they were trying to promote the the exercise utilization of their systems um so they were going to combine that with like yeah uh, that that board where you can do exercises um but i mean in general that ended up being kind of a flop for them so releasing more products for it probably wouldn't have worked i mean i'm the tech is there but considering how much backlash we saw from the xbox one's like always online always on features i can't i can't imagine that we would see people who were super willing except for maybe hardcores and you know, probably the the higher, more popular Let's Players would probably love that kind of thing. Yeah, because, I mean, what do you guys think about as far as um, kind of having all that feedback in a game to change the, the composition of the game? I don't believe it'll work. It's almost on the same, in my eyes, it's almost in the same plane as Dave's view of Heavy Rain. Oh, come on! <laughs> I, I'm serious. <laughs> Because, all right, the game's going to get harder, like, depending on my heartbeat and stuff. Like, I don't believe the game will be smart enough to pick up on that. And the, the heartbeat sensor in itself, too, has to be pretty accurate. And it needs a baseline. Because, I mean, like, I'll play until dawn. I know my heartbeat doesn't change. So what's gonna what's the game going to do? Is it going to try harder to raise my heartbeat is it gonna do something else is am i not gonna get the full thrill out of it because i'm not my body isn't deciding to play by the game's rules i picked up um the the camera for the xbox one the thing i don't know what the thing is called yeah i don't know anymore is that no that's the playstation move uh yeah but the x yeah that's that's it yeah um i bought the alien game 
as a launch title for when I bought the Xbox, and it has a feature built into it that the camera, if you connect it, will listen in to see if you scream or um, like make any noises, and it'll track your movement so that if you kind of lean in a direction, it'll lean in first-person view when you look through it, which was cool. Hmm. And um, the whole time you're hiding from the xenomorph, so if you make noises in your room, the thing will actually pick up on those cues and it'll zone in on your location which i thought was full cool and all that but after a while it's like you know i'm handicapping myself for no reason because i can't really control it when i'm playing a game and the dog decides hey i need to go outside or someone asks me a question like in a real life and death situation where there's a xenomorph in my living room and i'm trying to hide under the couch nobody's gonna make a noise but and i don't know I, I think the feature is kind of dumb yeah, I mean, there's a there's there's a limit to immersion, um, and and what you can do with it. I mean, it's an interesting gimmick, and I'm sure they'll they'll have a game that does it in an interesting way that to, to show the technology. Yeah. Uh, whether or not it's adapted fully, I mean, this reminds me a lot of. Um, I'm trying to think of the there was a DS vampire hunting game, where you had to actually go outside and use like a a solar panel feature on it. To, to charge your weapons for the night to oh, hunt. I vaguely remember this. And, I mean, that's, yeah. a, that's a really cool piece of technology. I, I can't imagine many applications outside of that. Um, so, like, we, when they talk about doing that with... Um, let's see, what was it called again? Um, Boktai. Boktai. Oh, Boktai is the, the, the DS game? Yeah, the Boktai, the sun is in your hand. Ah, yes. Um, but so like, if th- I'll give you three guesses on who the creator of that game is when it comes to, well, that's a really interesting, wacky implementation. I already know. <laughs> and if one of those three guesses is Kojima, you are correct. <laughs> oh, God damn it. Kojima. <laughs> he, um, included that game as like a Easter egg kind of gun in Metal Gear four. Did he really? Yeah, and it's really powerful, and the only way that you can recharge it is if Snake is in an area with daylight. Oh, Kojima, you're you take forever to make games, and then they're they're pretty good, but they're really weird. Um, yeah, like evidently video. with um, which we call Death Stranding, you can only see the monster if you have a baby in the room and the camera sees it. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Why yeah, though? But- or at least, I mean, that's what I'm gathering from watching the trailer. Yeah, right. The the various FMV trailers, or, or just pre-rendered trailers, that don't make any sense and have seemingly almost nothing to do with each other. Well, I remember saying, like, back when the first one dropped, and like, oh, I heard about Death Stranding, and then as more trailers were getting released, I understood less and less of the game, and I'm like, I think I kind of knew what was going on in the first one, but now at this point, I'm like, I... There's an invisible monster. Your and brother's like, you, you, you excited for I'm like, no. It's like, I don't know what to be excited about. Like, Pretty much. I don't know, Guillermo de Toro's in it, I guess. And All he I has know a, is... He has uh, a baby in a jar, and he runs places, but not well. I don't know. All I know is I lost the Silent Hills game. Um, mm. And then instead they're like, but you're getting Death Stranding. And I'm like, yeah, but I mean... I really like that PT demo. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, what uh, looking at the the trailers that I or teasers, whatever they're called that I've seen, like I think 
it's gonna be like a first person shooter in like alternative World War Two with zombies and monsters or something because there was like skeletons driving tanks with Nazi uniforms. Like I don't, I don't know. I feel Is like Kojima. You don't know if that's just going to be some stupid flashback sequence that has nothing to do with the rest of the game. <laughs> or it might not have to... It, it might just be like a theme-setting somatic. He's like, oh, the, what is this? How does this make you feel? Ah, that's how you're going to feel in the game. Does this have anything to do with the game? No, nothing at all. But Confused. It gives, it gives you the feeling of what my game is like. It's like, Kojima... How much money did you spend on that cinematic just to show off your logo? <laughs> did you did you play Phantom Pain by any chance, the Metal Gear Five? No, I, I did not go that far into the series. Unfortunately, yeah. I, after four, I think it peaked, and I'm I'm done with Kojima after four. I played five. I didn't like it. Uh, okay, I I, I uh, yeah, I did end at four. Yeah, and four four. Hmm. I, four I was, was the, I was four was closure to a trilogy of ten years of gaming. Yeah, I felt that was the proper closure because I did. I I lucked out and I had like a week off of work and I the game came out like the same week and I'm like, well, I know what I'm doing for this next week and I did yeah. play the hell out of it, but the game is not complete. It's like two and a half chapters out of a four chapter story. And those remaining chapter and a half will never be released. It's done. He took way too long. He had way too many bait and switch moments where you'll watch that trailer for the game itself. And it's amazing. The first 20 minutes, maybe half an hour is so well scripted. And it's so pleasantly given to you. And this nice silver platter, like, this is my game. I hope you enjoy it. And you're like, yes. And then you start playing it. And you realize all of the time that they spent in the last five years making this game was for that first half an hour of gameplay because the whole rest of it does not live up to that first 30 minutes. Yeah, I mean, I I did not play five. I played four, and, you know, I had played all of the other uh, Metal Gear Solid games. Um, and four, I was, I was feeling the Kojima fatigue where, you know, I was like halfway through the game and you would have... 15 minutes of gameplay, 40 minutes of cutscene, and I was, I, yeah, it, I wanted to finish it because it was kind of the end of that story, mm. but I didn't really enjoy 4 that much. Um, but I, yeah, especially some of the story decisions. I mean, with the, the whole Revolver Ocelot, Liquid Snake thing, I mean, I never thought Ocelot was a really compelling villain. But yeah, I, I was I was feeling the fatigue before. While I am sad that Kojima is no longer at Konami to have that big publisher backing to do interesting games, I am not sad that he's not doing Metal Gear Solid anymore. I think it died with four. Yeah, yeah, it, that that was it was at the end of its ropes. So yeah, um, but so like with this biometric thing, I I think you know they have the bring to light game for it, which will showcase it. But unless you, I mean, it's it seems very specific for horror games, um, and even then, a very specific kind of horror game. Um, I think like I think this would work well in like a, a Resident Evil Seven kind of thing. That yeah, you know, I feel like you have to pair it with VR. Um, 
and making it first person, you know, as soon as you go third person, you lose a lot of, you know, that sense of danger. Um, so, I mean, we'll see. Well, you know, there'll, there'll probably be a studio or two that fools around with it. Um, but it, it does feel a little too gimmicky, a little too specific to have more wider application. But it is cool technology. It's really interesting. Yeah, or even if they ended up doing it as, like, not like a home console thing, but if they did it at, well, the dying arcade industry. If they did yeah. it at, like... I mean, like, I went to, um, Sarah and I went to Dave and Buster's, like, because that's what we do when we're bored. Um, we ended up going, and they had, like, a Jurassic Park VR thing there now. Mm-hmm. And they had, like, another one that was, like, a giant dome four-player Halo machine. But they're doing all this other, like, cool VR stuff and whatnot as an arcade experience. Um, rather than, oh, well, buy it and take it home. It's, oh, no, like, come, like, pay five bucks and check this thing out for a bit. So, I mean, it would be kind of cool if they ended up doing, like, a, a horror cabinet or something like that and had it all set up for, like, the, the cameras for the sensors and the heartbeat and the VR headsets and whatnot. Because I figure people probably won't go out and buy something like that necessarily, um, like the general common... Uh, consumer, but they'll probably, if they end up coming across it, if they're out somewhere, they'll probably pay a couple bucks to, oh yeah, I'll give that a shot. As long as I don't have to buy like a $120 rig of all this stuff to bring home. Right, and I mean, you know, arcades used to be notorious for that. I mean, the first time we saw like motion sensor technology in games was at arcades. Um, That was always kind of like the proving ground for that kind of technology. Um. But yeah, unfortunately, since arcades are kind of dying, except for, you know, you get your kind of retro game barcades and stuff, um, that gets kind of hard to find. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. I mean, maybe maybe it'll surprise us, you know. I'm, I'm certainly sure we'll be seeing it at other shows, um, and certainly now with, uh, you, know, you know, the PAX events coming up, um, we'll probably see more and more of it. So, um... So I think that's going to be the news. Um, so let's see, we're running. You know what? Yeah. So we do have a topic this week. Um, I know the last two weeks we haven't really done a topic, but there was kind of something of a bit of interest to a couple of us that I think we wanted to go into. Um, and specifically, I think this week, you know, we 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 talked in the previous weeks. I can't remember which episode about the Street Fighter board game. Um, and how it had an incredibly high price tag for just being being kind of a very basic miniature game. Um, although the miniatures were not your classic style, you know, put together and paint miniatures, they were more like collector's pieces. Um, and kind of just how much people are willing to pay for quote unquote collector's items and kind of the inflation on that. Um, I think Nick, you had a, you had a couple specific examples you wanted to look at, right? Yeah, I um, my lunch break, I was looking through my websites, and one of them is the Toy Arc, mm-hmm. and it just goes over, like, different toys that have come out, and not just, like, silly action figures, like, meant for kids, but, like, cooler stuff, mm-hmm. and um, they'll cover collectible items, too, like, a couple weeks back, they announced, like, a Jurassic Park thing, where, like, it's a two-set piece, where one's a T-Rex, and then the other half is, like, Alan Grant with the, the, the cruiser holding the flare up. You can combine the two together to make the full scene, and mm-hmm. it's cool. But they're really expensive. And um, today was like the 
nail in the coffin because <clears throat> I didn't list the one that I saw in the show notes, but just I put up two that were like realistic versus no one's going to spend that much money. Right. But it, it was um, the new Predator movies coming out, and they made a life-size bust of the Predator. So let me see if I can find it really quick. But, oh, that's cool. Like, they have a full set GameStop exclusive NECA Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from the 1990 movie. Like, that stuff, that, that, that catches me. But the price tag on those are reasonable enough that for 100 bucks they can probably get the lot. Right. Whereas for the more expensive, exclusive stuff, I don't understand who this is specifically marketed to. Because just the price tag is way too high. Uh, I'm going to do one last page, and then if not, here it is. So, The Fugitive Predator Life-Size Bust by, who's the company? Prime One Studio. They want fifteen ninety nine for it. Whew. The deluxe version. All right, so the life-size, the Predator film, Fugitive Predator, is fifteen ninety nine. Size approximately 30 inches tall. LED light-up feature on shoulder cannon and one Predator helmet. Whereas the deluxe one, which is eighteen ninety nine. It's the same thing, but it looks like it comes with a damaged helmet. Yeah, that's the the fugitive predator. Yeah. So fifteen hundred dollars. Wowza for a statue. Pretty much. Um, looks that great. Is, it, I is, mean, it, look, it looks great. Yeah, and it is life size, so it's one to one scale, and it's the um, chest, shoulders. It's the full bust. Yeah. It's not just like the head. So like that's that's quite a bit. And then flip side, I found another one that I did put in, which is ridiculous, is um a life size alien queen. Is that the, the that's the one coming through the door? Yeah. You don't even get the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, because... I'm looking at I'm looking at this picture and it says life size, but so for anyone listening to give you an idea this is ex- essentially a 37-inch tall wall plaque. Uh, it has a flat backing on it. It is rectangular, so you can hang it on your wall if you, somehow you can fit a 37-inch high thing on your wall and hang it with something. That's literally just a queen alien's head coming through what looks like, uh, I guess, the air breach hatch from the yeah. Aliens movie, probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get the, the framing of it is the door itself. And then you get just the very front of the queen's head and kind of her fingers poking through like she's trying to climb out of it. But, I mean, I'm looking at the side view even. Yeah, I mean, you, it's just, it's just her hands and part of her head coming out of a wall plaque and it is $1,600. I mean, I get it. It's, it's big. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know who this is for. Uh, and you know the website even advertises it as own it for as little as hundred and thirty three dollars a month. And that's twelve payments of a including a hundred dollar deposit for ten monthly payments of one thirty three plus one final payment of one thirty six, and that includes shipping, plus shipping, plus shipping. So that does not include it. Yeah, I mean this looks like something that a studio would have. Like you go into the game studio of whoever's developing the new Alien game, and they have this. Like, yeah. that is, like, the size and cost of this piece. This is not something you have in your home unless you have tons of money 
to burn. I mean, maybe maybe this is for, you know, you always hear about like the super fan actors who buy this kind of stuff mm-hmm. um, and, and own these pieces. Like, you know, classically Guillermo de Toro and like Rob Zombie have all of these, you know, uh, horror replicas of, of things from horror films or even the originals. Um, so maybe that's who this is for. But yeah, I don't, I don't understand it. Um, like that's insane. Like I, I put up an example that is something I was looking at, um, which is for uh, an action figure. Now, granted, a, a very tall action figure. I think it's, I think it's ten inches high, uh, with some removable bits. Um, for the Captain Harlock character, uh, Captain Harlock is from an old early '80s anime that a couple years ago was redone in full 3D. And to kind of celebrate it, they came out with this Captain Harlock figure. And it's it's Captain Harlock, and he's he's sitting in his his little throne. And, you know, he's posable and comes with a couple doodads. Like, you can change out his cloak, and he comes with his weird pelican duck thing and his sword and all of that. Um, and it's a very highly detailed, pre-painted uh, figure. And it's $420. I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's an action figure. These are molded plastic outside of the original sculpt captain harlock probably cost them i don't know like two dollars and sixty cents to make i would assume in their defense as much as i hate to say it um it's made by hot toys and those are not your child's toy right so like i mean these are these are well they're machine painted but they're well done yeah um, there's a few, yeah, it's a, yeah, there's a few hot toys I've wanted to buy, but I can't justify throwing down that kind of money. Oh yeah. I mean, I love Captain Harlock in the show and the, even the, the manga. Um, but I, there's no way, there's no way I would dish out money for this piece and their, their cost is not that high. This is just artificial inflating the, the cost to make it a collector's item. Mm-hmm. Um, this this is like artificially inflating just, you know, currency in general. You you make it a collector's item by forcibly making it scarce and driving up the price. There's no reason it should cost this much. This is, this is a $100 figure. You know, there's no need for this 400% markup. You know, the same thing with the, the Predator fugitive mask. I mean, yeah, it's huge. It's a giant chunk of you know, rubberized plastic, but looking at it, it's, it's $500. That's what it is. I felt, um, I felt more comfortable spending that kind of change on like a full size hot and carbonite, which they have yeah. made. Like that makes at least a, a little more sense. It's a full size. This thing will fill up a room and it kind of, you get your money's worth, but not for a bust. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's hard to justify these. And we're even, you know, like I was talking about the Street Fighter game, we're seeing this small scale too. So um, another, it's it's kind of a pseudo example I want to bring up is so recently the company Simon, or cool mini or not, depending on your interaction with the company, uh, ran a Kickstarter for their game uh, Death May Die, I believe it is, Mm. which is a a Cthulhu Cthulhu themed game. and, you know, cool men or not, they're notorious or they're known for incredibly high quality sculpts with their game. So it comes with a ton of miniatures. It looks absolutely gorgeous. I have no idea if the quality of the game is any good. Um, 
everything is is full sculpted plastic every, you know it's it looks incredible but what i specifically want to talk about is that there is a f- pledge level um let's see where is it uh, i'm trying to find the price uh death made like cthulhu so there as part of it there was kind of like an ultra backer pledge level where as part of it you would gain a a cthulhu mini of actual Cthulhu. So in your game of Death May Die, you could encounter Cthulhu himself. And he is a foot and a half tall, solid resin cast miniature. And uh, I'm looking up the price on him. Uh, trying to find it, because I remember it being a huge piece of contention. Um, let's see. He actually might be taller than that even. Uh, uh, this is going to bug me that I can't find him now. Um, but so when you're, you know, yeah, they're doing it through Kickstarter, so you don't have to buy it as part of it, but I mean, you don't have to buy any of this stuff really. Um, but you know, where, where do we draw the line with that? Um, okay. So the, the Cthulhu figure is an extra $250 on top of buying the uh i think it's a 125 dollar game ouch yeah um and i mean to be fair it's a gorgeous miniature i don't know if you can call a foot and a half figure a miniature um but he is um he is solid resin and it's unbelievably sculpted and is probably just an incredible centerpiece for this style of game it's probably just um imported from rylia <laughs> <laughs> And that's the, the pledge, Ryla Rising Pledge. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, where, you know, and this is a draw for people. You know, when they go to Kickstarter, and I hate to get on my little Kickstarter soapbox, but the game on Board Game Geek has, let's see, I think it's, I think it's like a four. Out of um, ten? Yeah. Let's see, what is it? It is... Oh, I'm sorry, so it's it's a 5.9 out of 10. So, going by their rating system, that is a solid, mediocre, take it or leave it. Um, that that rating doesn't, doesn't tell me that, yes, this game is worth spending $400 on to get. That also doesn't tell me that this game should have gotten... Uh, just shy of sixteen hundred backers for just shy of two point five million dollars. Wow, um, five point nine. You're making two and a half million dollars. Uh, I'm betting that's just because people want your miniatures. Could be. I mean, yeah. We we barely sell you know, two hundred and fifty dollar miniatures and save them some work on the game. Some miniatures I mean, that's, are kind of hard to come by, though. If they're good, decent enough of a sculpt, it might actually break down to be cheaper to just give in to what they want and give it to them. And it's and it's a possibility because the one thing that Cool Mini or Not does is that all of their games are exclusive to Kickstarter, so there is no retail release for this game. Huh. Um, so the only way you can buy it is through Kickstarter. Um, so the only way you can get those miniatures is by the Kickstarter. Um, which gives it a sense of exclusivity. Now, 
I'm wondering, you know, I, I, I hate to, you know, to, to badmouth anything, but it feels like Kumani or not is just preying on this collector's item piece because this game is a collector's item. The miniatures will never be available for purchase outside of this Kickstarter campaign. And they're able to drive up the price for these things. Um, and I can only think that that hurts the market. Um, in kind of a, a similar way to the way that these other companies are creating artificial prices for these, you know, these sculptures that they're calling exclusive because they're only making so many of them. Yeah, I would uh, firmly believe so. It's not fair that some avenues are the only way that you can collect certain things. And um, I know the almighty dollar is what makes the world go round. Sometimes I don't need it to be so blatantly waved in my face that you really want this miniature? Well, the only way you're going to get it is to go through this paywall. And that's kind of brutal sometimes. Yeah, that makes it really hard. And I mean, I mean, these sculpts are gorgeous. Like, I'm looking at the figure for Haster with his writhing tentacles, yellow cloak. It's really, really cool. Um, and Cool Mirror is the same company that put out, like, they put out Rising Sun, which has all of the, the, the Oni, the Japanese Oni in it that look amazing. Um, and, you know, they've done a ton of great stuff. But, yeah, this is, it's, it's a hard pill to swallow. Um, and I find myself kind of questioning the validity of these, of these games, especially when it is kind of poorly rated across, uh, Board Game Geek. So, uh, yeah, so that is, I think that, I think that's our topic. Nick, was there anything else you wanted to go into with that? I'm always willing to accept donations, especially those in the form of collectible miniatures, because as <laughs> much as, um, uh, you know, it just, <clears throat> It's tough to spend the money on it, but I mean, god damn, I do want some of those things. The Ghostbusters so trap. I I my my holy grail is the Barbasol can from Jurassic Park that opens up and it has like the little embryos inside. Like I mm-hmm. I oh oh god, I want one. So you can head over to Nick's Patreon where instead of donating <laughs> dollars, you can just select your level of collectible item. <laughs> oh man. All right. Well, that is our topic, and I think that is our podcast for the week. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, this has been The Scream Lords, presented by The Screaming Brain. Um, if you want to follow us more closely, you can find us at thescreamingbrain.com, uh, which also has our companion blog to the podcast. You can find us on Facebook at The Screaming Brain. Uh, we're on Twitter at One Screaming Brain or on Instagram at The Screaming Brain. We are also officially now on Twitch um, as The Screaming Brain. We just had our first stream of One Deck Dungeon uh, by Handelabra Games, which we talked a little bit about. Um, Fantastic game. Um, Forewarning, I'm terrible at it, so don't expect any, you know, serious grandeur going on. Um, we are on Twitch, uh, three times a week, Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, uh, I will be streaming again tomorrow night, August 28th. Um, I will be playing the newly released Lord of the Rings, uh, living card game on Steam, which is being released tomorrow morning. Um, and it should be a good time of trying to, trying to figure out that game. I don't have too much experience with it. But we will work through it together. Is it based, uh, Tim, on, if, is oh, it based on the movie or is it based on um, like the actual books? Uh, the movie. 
Um, but Tim, if anyone wanted to get a hold of you, what would be the best best place to look for you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Mr. Time, uh, M-I-S-T-E-R, or you can find me on Twitter at Mr. Time 0080. I'm not on Twitter too, too much, but if you just DM me or something, I don't know how Twitter works, but I'll find it somehow. <laughs> uh, and Nick, if people wanted to get a hold of you, how would they do that? Instagram, Nicholas one Okay. Um... So, again, if you enjoyed listening to the podcast, um, head over to wherever you listen to your podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, um, one of the, the various other methods, and leave us a review. You know, if you like it, give us five stars. It'll help other people find the podcast. And as always, if you want to get, uh, get in contact with us in general or questions about the podcast, you can email us at podcast at thescreamingbrain.com. Uh, so that has been the Scream Lords. Thank you so much, everyone, and have a good night. Good night. Good night. <laughs>